same format every year. Um, we're adding more categories this year, uh, but primarily did we ever do, do? We did categories. We intermittently just change things, but well, we did board game categories uh, last year or the year be- nice. year before twenty nineteen. It, it really when, is when we could play board games. That was the most when we could still play board games on uh, TTS. Yeah. yeah, but um, uh, oh it, man, we got to get oath on this. That list, is the right? most. That is the most true of of this that we could do is just one year just be like this video game podcast did a board games uh awards instead of video games because we were more excited about board games at the time yeah all right i put i made sure that oath is somewhere on this list uh so the way that we do it is this is our show uh so what you're not gonna find is you're not gonna find discussion of uh games that we didn't play uh so so that mostly includes like ps5 games uh and stuff that you just looks lame. Video you know, games so many, you guys don't have so the new consoles? Out there. You guys don't so have the many, new consoles? There are so many lame-looking games out there that yeah. we didn't play. Uh, I didn't play, like, uh, I don't know, uh, Life is Strange. I mean, Life I, I strange. really loved the first Life is Strange, but... Go play Life is Strange. Sometimes it'd be like that. Like, sometimes I just don't get around to things, or I don't have the the yeah. the, 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 uh, the Guilty Gear Strive to get around to things, you know what I mean? Like, I, I, yeah. I'm already... The, I, and also, the... I often find that, like, by the time that I'm at my computer, that, like, because my friends will often be on the computer at the same time, that it's, like, now is the time to do, you know, my, the games that I, that I like, that I've been liking yeah. for, for so long. Now is the, the Valorant time, the Strive time. The... Yeah, yeah. And we'll get to, so we also didn't play uh, Five Nights at Freddy's Security Breach. Um, we didn't play It Takes Two. We didn't play. I have Far never Cry played 5 any Five Nights any at Freddy's. I actually, I don't even really understand how it works. As far as I know, it's like you just look at different cameras, and then there there's a pop out scare. That's it. And and it, it's a game that it, that should really only work for streamers because then streamers can like overreact to the scares that they've seen like a thousand times because they're they're playing that game twenty four seven and and it sounds and like you know exactly the, what this the game real is. the real horror and the real pop out is when the streamer finally realizes like oh my god what am I doing there is I have an extant amount of time on this earth and this is what I'm doing but it's for the money there you go if it pays enough then you can get scared I'll get scared all day let's get into well you you spend plenty of time getting scared right I guess so. There you go. Um, let's get into it. So we're going to start at the beginning of the year. We're going to talk through the games that we played a Giant little bit. Giant Bomb stole we're... this format from us. We go I know, month by month. I know. We, we did this first. We did. Uh, you could look it up. You could look it up. We've been doing this since 2015. This has been our format. So these are the games that are usually like either relevant or we have something to say. And yeah. also what I like about the, I, what I've always loved about this format is that um, we're not talking about games that are winning things we're just talking about like oh this game like there's games that came out this year that are you forget after you finish playing them and it's kind of interesting to look back with like sometimes months or like almost the entire year um behind you to say like how did that game hold up in my mind or like did they support that game and i think that kind of stuff is interesting but yeah and a lot of these games i'm gonna be honest with you uh, i didn't finish I know. Uh, I, don't really finish, I don't finish, finish games. games. I don't finish it's games. It's hard to finish games, and, yeah. And also, I, I feel like m- more so like a- as I just get older, it's like if if I... If if I have that, you know, like if I'm... If I have a free time... If I have free time and it is like I have an itch to play something, then I may as well, you know, go do that. But I don't want to, like, say, you know, I have some free time. I got to go put more time into this thing because i have to finish it um especially yeah, my my game of the year is a game i didn't finish like increasingly oh. 
increasingly like uh, also and and for this medium as well um if you have like a solid 10 20 good hours or something like slogging through the end of it solely because i must see an ending that is like usually largely just like a disappointment in video games games that want games that actually want you to like finish it and like shock you with the ending usually um uh are shorter in which which is which uh, kind of reminds me have like a, a magnetic pull to the end you know like you think of a game like outer wilds that game had a you had to see you know like it it it, it brought you there. uh but yeah a lot of games like they they do tend to peter out i feel like there's a notable omission this that I feel, as i'm looking at these lists um I'm, i feel like i'm seeing some notable omissions, omissions. All right, well, then let's pause it and uh, re-up No, it didn't come out this year. Never mind. What game? 12 Minutes. 12 Minutes did come out this year. It's on the list. It's in August. Really? Yeah. It says initial release date. Why are these always wrong? Initial release date, 12 Minutes, 2022. No, it says released on August 9th. Okay. That's a great... Um, we'll, get a, we'll get into it. Anyways, uh, we're going to start off in January. So only one noteworthy release, and that's Hitman 3. Uh, so Hitman 3... Uh, did a lot of really cool things. Uh, one thing that it didn't do that was cool is it released only on the Epic Store. Uh, so I feel like a lot for a lot of people, they missed this game just because they didn't see it on Steam. But uh, one thing that was really cool about Hitman 3 is that it carried over um, all of the maps uh, from Hitman 1 and 2 and brought them into like a single collection uh, with some updates like ray tracing and things like that got brought into the old maps. Um, It was a bit of a weird situation when it first came out because uh, because like, you know, a lot of people owned Hitman 1 and 2 on Steam and this game released on Epic specifically, there was like a lot of issues with getting those maps transferred. Um, But in terms of what Hitman 3 brings to the table, it does bring uh, some extremely original maps to the game. My absolute favorite map in Hitman history and I... I feel like I should have um, wrote this down, but there is a murder mystery map in um, I, that takes what, place like Ravenholt or something. And it it uh it's what is that movie? Uh, oh, God, I, 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 this is the beginning of my day, so I, my brain is not working. Um, I know exactly what it's you're... in Dartmoor, England, and and it, the it, movie it was... is Knives Out. Yes. So it is definitely like an homage to those sort of like Agatha Christie murder mysteries. Uh, where you're you're going into this like really big old mansion. Someone has just died. There's a number of suspects, and you're just trying to figure out like who did this. But obviously, you have your hitman. Your quest is to assassinate somebody, and the person that you're supposed to assassinate is somebody who uh, somebody else in the house is going to is trying to kill. So. On top of doing like this, who done it? The way like, you just said um, that, you have to assassinate someone who someone else on the house is trying to kill. You have to kill them before they kill them, or you have to kill the murderer before they kill. Uh, you have to kill the person who is uh, going to be killed. Oh, and you don't have to you, kill them first. It's this thing of like uh, the you can figure out who's trying to kill them and like put the like pieces in place for them to kill them. Uh, Hitman has always been like this mousetrap of like, there are, you know, dozens of different ways to approach this. But one of the ways also would be like revealing the true nature of uh, who's trying to kill them and why or convince it in this mission. You can actually uh, convince the target to kill themselves. Wow. Um, 
There, there is some really. It is twenty twenty one. There's good reasons. Uh, my other favorite map is uh, this giant warehouse where this rave is happening, where you your target is essentially uh, you go into the map and you don't know who the targets are, and every time you load it up. Um, there is a selection of different targets that load in. I think that there's like eight poss eight or ten possible targets, and you have to kill four of them. But you don't know where they'll be, and they're all trying to find and kill you. So it's sort of the reverse of the regular Hitman map, where instead of uh, being the hunter, you are sort of the, hun the um, hunter. Become yeah, and Hitman 3 is also a game I didn't play to completion. I played, I think, the first three or four maps. Um but I think it's really fantastic, and it's a really great package. Um, if you could get the entire trilogy, it is, like, so much content. It's, like, a pretty well-maintained game, and there's, like... <clears throat> it's funny, I was listening to Nextlander, and, like, uh, they were discussing whether or not uh, Hitman 3 is a time loop game. And it is kind of funny, because you are sort of repeating the same thing over and over, trying to, like, optimize your route through it. Um and it leads to some really original stuff. There is uh, the first map of Hitman 3 can be completed in six seconds. I don't even understand how that's possible. Yeah. I have to uh, look that up. I mean, it's not like it would take a lot of my time. Yeah. Uh, Hitman 3 is great. Uh, Hitman in general is such a terrific series, and I think that this was a really nice end cap for this trilogy. The thing that the team is doing next is they're working on a James Bond game, which I think makes a lot of sense. Uh Using the bones and the skeleton of him. Nice. Hitman, January. February, Bravely Default 2. It's a more Bravely Default with a uh, less miserable story. So great class system, uh, but otherwise, um, exactly what you expect. It's a JRPG. It's on the Switch. It runs well. I don't like the look of it as well as Bravely Default 1, but if someone is looking for just like, I want a class-based RPG on the on the switch bravely default 2 not the worst thing you can in the in your predictions you said that i was going to love this and i was going to say it was their turn of the jrpg mm, yeah you would have liked it Ugh, i don't want to i hate it i hate the first one so much so deeply that i cannot be i don't want to waste my time with an valheim valheim came out this year and it struggled to get updates uh, I feel like that is a game that was like explosive for the first month and a lot of people were playing it and talking about it. And I feel like they did not keep that momentum up. That's fair. Um, it's probably a smaller dev, right? Yeah, I believe so. So, but it was a pretty neat game. It was a sort of, how how would you describe it? Isn't it like game? a, it's a Norse-based survival, it's like, it's like Norse um, survival buildery, like, of that vein, that rust kind of uh, vein, that arc kind of game. You run around, you whack at trees, the trees fall apart into like little and you shards build, like, of a, lumber. A little town. Yeah, you try to like build a town, and then eventually you could be building like a castle, and there will be like uh, invasions and stuff like that. But mostly, what you're doing is uh, you're mining and crafting so that you can go into increasingly dangerous territories. Uh, and, and you're trying to slay these different gods. And when you slay them, you get like abilities from them and, you know, materials that are going to help you go to the next thing. So it is kind of a, a gear treadmill game, uh, but it's very co-op. It, it has a pretty unique look to it where it has like this 3D lo-fi look that I, I think works really well for it. 
and it has really beautiful lighting actually. Uh, but like I said, it, it came out and it was like explosive on, on steam. It has uh, 278,000 reviews, overwhelmingly positive, um, but only 8,000 recent reviews, uh, which is surprising because this is an early access game. Like that's the thing. If, if this were a completed game, that would be like, well, yeah, you know, games come out and they, they peter off. The, you know, at this point, we have expectation about early access games and the the cycle of their development. And, and it really just feels like uh, it's it's moving a bit slow. So I, I'll be interested in revisiting Valheim when it comes out. I if what I'd like to see is I want to see something a little bit more like Terraria, where I, I want eventually the game to get like out of control for you to be like doing insane shit and like building these like grand structures and having like magical fire swords and shit like that. that's what i would want out of valheim bigger and crazier neo 2 came out on pc so bigger was... and crazier am i right uh, i guess so i mean neo 2 does feel very iterative of neo um it's it uh neo is like a dark soulsy kind of game like dark souls combat but also like way more looty which and is faster cool. paced right? faster paced very like loot based um I would Galloway say that, says it was his uh, the best Pokemon game that came. Yeah, I guess they do. Ha- don't they have some like monster ability mechanic kind of things or? Yeah, they, they actually have like the Castlevania mechanic of uh, you kill a monster and every once in a while it'll drop like its essence. Yeah, yeah. And, and you can like use one of those monsters ability. I I feel like I should try to get back to. That I mean, because. It's- it's one of those games that when I played it, I loved everything about it, and then I just stopped playing it. I, I think I fall off too, and I think the main reason why is because the game gets so samey. Like the, the first Neo had the same problem too, where you end up seeing the same monsters. And I guess like there's there's kind of a decent reason, like developer reason why, because the monsters are usually so difficult and punishing that you have to like learn exactly you know how their attacks work or like where you can hit them. Um, it's like. You know, Dark Souls, if yeah. all the enemies were bosses, but you only saw five enemies, basically. Like, I, I mean, like... It is Dark Souls meets Diablo, though, yeah. right? Like, I, I do love so, the, the general, like, loot system is really cool. Because um, Dark I Souls games... good, too. And the yeah. environments this time around, it had some pretty good environments. I know, but you will be going through them a lot. It, it, it is, like, there's so much good about that game, and there's none of it is, like necessarily none of the thing the faults in it are actually necessarily bad things like they're all things that i could totally understand someone liking like the game is very like you play these it's not a contiguous world you you load up different missions and you'll be continually like loading up missions in the same area but with like the area is just remixed where it's like oh now you're going backwards and this area that was not blocked off is blocked off and you're gonna go a different route yeah like i mean not i wouldn't say destiny Destiny does that exact thing in Mission. I guess they, I guess they do that sometimes, yeah. Uh, did, did that Destiny come out this it year? Did it did not. It comes out, I think, February. I no, thought the it did. Other the... Des- the other Destiny, the one that was like... Outriders? With the, no, the Destiny with the with the ice powers. Yes. Remember no, actually... the, the fourth subclass, Thesis? Did it? Beyond Light? When did Beyond Light come out? It feels like there's no, nothing. That came out, okay. It no, came out this came year? out in 2020. Okay, good. We don't have to talk. Did about anything that. come out for their season of the Splicer? I feel like nothing happened to Destiny this year. Probably not. I don't know. Clearly the not Witch, for us. The Witch Queen or whatever was supposed to come out, I believe, at the end of the year, and I, and I even said in the predictions podcast it was going to be like a big return to Destiny. 
is going to be a great February 22nd. So uh, that lines up perfectly with Elden Ring. Great. That's a good time for that game to come out to 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 like not even work for me, you know? Like, like if, if it came out in January, if it came out now, there would be a chance that I could play it. But I feel like I'm going to be way more interested in Elden Ring. Okay, so Neo 2 came out for PC. Persona 5 Strikers. Uh, this is a pretty neat game. Uh, so it is essentially like a Dynasty Warriors game, but it follows... Amuso. Yeah, Amuso, but it follows the events of Persona 5. It, it is so weird, though, when you think about this... The thing that's insane about this game is that this game is a sequel to Persona 5, which means that you probably want to play Persona 5 first, but this game came out on Steam and Switch while Persona 5 was a PlayStation exclusive. Mm-hmm. What do you think about that? I think I think that happens every once in a while. I can I can understand that it, like I like a I just don't know why the the weirder thing is not that Persona 5 is not on those those consoles or like it's not on pc and it's not on switch and yet you can play like the sequel on pc and switch that's not that weird to me what's weird to me is that persona 5 didn't come out on pc at least i can maybe understand maybe like why didn't golden come out on pc royal yeah royale i i totally agree and i i feel like it's definitely because of some sony exclusivity deal i don't know also, isn't it crazy that uh, Joker from Persona 5 is in Smash? Everyone is in, in Smash now. Everyone's in Smash. Even Negan. That game is, is such Smash. a crazy ass. He's not in Smash. That's wild. He's one of the few <laughs> that they don't got. They, do they have Glenn from The Walking Dead? They must have Glenn. No. Mm. This is, it's, so this is shocking. <laughs> I, you're, you're, you finally mentioned, whenever I try and think about characters that are not in uh, Smash Brothers, I can't think of any, and there you go. Yeah. Uh so the cool things about Persona 5 Strikers, uh, it looks like Persona 5. It has a really good aesthetic. It has the beautiful menus that, you know, people came to, like, respect and admire from Persona 5. Uh, the combat is pretty smooth and pretty fun of, like, you are running around as, like, the characters from Persona 5, and you are doing, like, these crazy attacks that are wiping out, like, dozens of enemies at once. Uh, but the cool thing also is that... Uh, you are using persona abilities. So if you do like XXY, you're doing like Agilau or something like that, or XXXY, and maybe you're doing like Bufala. Give me that Buf. I got a mute. I got a mute. Got a mute Discord. I know, but for for it's worse for me because for the listeners, for the uh, viewers, it shows that they can hear this. They can hear those. Yeah, it's terrible. Uh, so Persona Five Strikers is pretty neat. Again, another game that I didn't finish, but. I admire, and I thought that it was a pretty solid game. It, and, and I feel like uh, you it, it's exactly what it seems like. Uh, but one thing that I absolutely loved about it is that it has all of the old songs from all the old Persona games. Uh, you never see it that, coming. That you could put as the battle tracks. So if you wanted to, you could replace uh, the battle mm-hmm. music with music from Persona 4 or Persona 3. And I thought that that was pretty neat. That is pretty neat. Thanks, Ryan. <laughs> How about Monster Hunter Rise? Speaking of uh, speaking of Persona, how about everyone's favorite character, a crossover with Monster Hunter and Rise? That's the character I romanced in Persona 4 Gold. I think that's the character I romanced. It's Damn. also the canonical basic romance. It is it really? It's the canonical. Yeah, if you watch the anime, that's the that's the character. Okay, well there you go. Maybe maybe we're not basic bitches, maybe we just have good taste. Uh Monster Hunter Rise, March. Um this was my I think this was the first Monster Hunter game that I really got into. 
Um, I played like exclusive. 100 hours of this. Switch is a, gr- a great place for this game's home to be. Um, but it is a little weird in some ways because Monster Hunter World uh, was probably the first Monster Hunter for, for many other people. That was the first kind of like mainstream Monster Hunter, Monster Hunter that I think a lot of people got super into. And that game is, you know, absolutely gorgeous. And it does this amazing thing about with like with these biomes and all these creatures. And it really like kind of has this ecological, like closed little ecological system for every area. And I really appreciated that. And in, and in Monster Hunter Rise, it kind of is more of a return to the older Monster Hunters. Um, it's not that good looking of a game. It's kind of disappointing to me that it doesn't look that good. Um, I think that... I really wish that I they... think the aesthetics are great. It's just the uh, the like frame rate and the the um what do you call it the anti-aliasing? It's a little pixely. I think we said I, I believe the frame rate is fine. I think we've never really noticed. Like I think I remember us saying that like we never noticed yeah, it's, it hitching yeah, or anything. I think it's locked at thirty though. The frame rate so that so so that's not great. Like the frame rate is consistent and everything. But I think one of the bigger problems is that if you know you're making a game for switch from the ground up they should have made something that had a little bit more of that like nintendo flair and i I would point towards monster hunter stories as a as a game where it's like like i think they should have went with a cartoonier or cel-shaded style or something because it's doing that thing where it, it, it looks like the older monster hunters where like the graphics are trying to go for this realistic look but it's not on a system yet that can support it and they're not doing a good enough job with it like world was was like so visually striking because they finally like they went for that really realistic look and they finally could do it and pull it off and then they went and then to go back to like monster hunter rise a game that comes out after that and then like i don't know it just doesn't really look that attractive i think it's kind of weird but there's some cool things that i feel like i'll want forever in in monster hunters that like it, it would be weird to want to play the next mainline one and then for them to miss um i really don't know if they'll i don't think they'll have it but wire bugs are so fun it's like a grappling hook and there's a lot of like cool mechanics that go along with the wire bugs um i know mounting a monster is not necessarily new but um just like the the movement in uh monster hunter rise is like i i think the best in the series like you do a lot of just um like zipping around the map like uh there's a lot of uh there's a lot more um, verticality in the maps. Uh, they expect you to like, you know, wire bug, wire bug up, like double wire bug way into the sky and get on top of like mountains and stuff. And uh, it feels really cool to like wire bug away from an enemy or something as they're charging at you. So like those kind of things feel great. Um, and then there's like the uh, the skills, the wire bug kind of skills. Silk bind. One thing skills. that I, I definitely there there are a couple of things that I also appreciate about Monster Hunter Rise. Uh, in world, it had a problem of the weapons looking homogenous. True. And and also, Monster Hunter World had very few like um, skeletons for monsters. Like a lot of them were shaped the same way, okay. and then just like textured over. Uh, whereas Rise brought back some of the more interesting monsters like Nursilla and uh, things like that 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 I appreciate. That uh, weird. Um, why can't I'm, I think of the name of the bubble dragon? Mizutsune. That's exactly the one. Yeah, I, I agree with you. Actually, the Monster Hunter World is like aesthetically the all the the gear sets and the weapons kind of look like if you took a base weapon and then you just like pasted some of the monster's skin on it. Um, so some it doesn't feathers. Really, yeah. yeah, like some feathers or something where it's like you could still see the basic like 
steel, you know, uh, switch axe, but like it has some feathers on it. Um, so, or like it has some devil Joe pickle on it. Um, but, uh, in this game, it certainly looks like, you know, all the equipment and all the weapons are like designed are completely unique. Um, look like they're completely like unique models where they started from scratch. So there's a real cool, um, sense of progression. And... Yeah. Are you going to, so Monster Hunter Rise comes out on PC this week. Um, and in a couple months it's releasing a DLC, the Sunbreak, Monster Hunter Rise Sunbreak. The DLC is releasing, uh, same day on Switch and PC. Are, are you planning to, uh, double dip on this I do game? Not. I are do you going to get so. it on, on PC? I think I am when it when Sunbreak comes out. I think I'm gonna pick it up on PC. Possibly, but I don't know. Um, but it was a it was a really good game. It was the first Monster Hunter game that I really got more into. Um, it also I believe it's also the first one. I don't know if it was World also did away with this. I feel like this Monster Hunter did away with a lot of the more antiquated aspects of the series. Um, it did away with like paintballs completely. Like there's no you don't have to track the monster. Like it, you just see it. I believe right. Like don't you just see it on the map? Uh, yes. Uh, so... That sounds right. Um, so they did away with that, uh, their... Which World also did. Um, uh, this World was... just had the scout flies that you just went to. Yeah, I really, I love the way that... That, that look in World with, like, the little, like, scout flies and, like, these little, uh, like, um, lightning buggy kind of effects. Like, I don't know, that was, a, that was such a gorgeous, amazing look. I hope that, like, scout flies return, because I love that, just that aesthetically, the way it looked. Fantastic. Yeah. Um, but this was... Um, this did, do, uh, do a like mobile monster hunter that didn't have like that map cordoning off. Like this was a full, um, like they, they, the, the world is, you know, each area is contiguous, which is, which is nice. Um, that's from world. And, uh, they had the, uh, the Palamutes, which were, which were, I think, I think Palamutes, despite maybe like, regardless of their efficiency, cause that was always in question for like the, the harder hunts. Um, it seemed like maybe two Palico for solo, you could bring a Palico or a Palamute and with the Palamutes, you can jump on them and ride them. Um, they're like these big, you know, Malamute dogs and, uh, they also fight and like support you a little bit, but they're, it's a little bit more about the, the being able to ride them. And I think this really, uh, there's a lot of different things at once that they were doing that could make someone who maybe never could like bounces off the series a lot be a little bit more interested in like i think the jumping on the palamutes is just like an instantly more fun way of traversing um and feeling like 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 having a mount to be able to quickly get to the monster after it changes areas and feel like the pace of the game doesn't just like slow to shit while you're you know like oh okay where did it go i gotta i gotta get a path over to this thing and then start fighting this monster again because it like ran away and like how like kind of frustrating that can be. I feel like there's a lot of good aspects and the silk bind stuff was like phenomenal. It really felt like there was a ton of customization with like the weapon skills and that kind of silk bind I think reminds me of the generations I guess did something like this a little bit more anime, a little bit more like wild. Like there's a lot of like counter skills and stuff. You know, like like long sword putting the sword away and then putting like a counter barrier up and you get hit and then you do a massive attack. There's some really yeah, my, cool stuff. My favorite one is the gun lance. The gun lance. Where you could put the gun lance behind you and like shoot it and essentially like ride the gun lance 
yeah uh to get around really fast which was cool for a typically you know that's like a very slow weapon yeah i so feel it was like really was, cool to fly around on that they really did some great job with the um uniqueness of like pushing uniqueness for the weapons you know like the weapons feel even more unique in this game i felt like the the way i played it i played like 100 hours of it and i got up to the kind of like final starts at the beginning of the final hunts like all the uh the like whatever it is like the six star or whatever it is like some of like the last sure. the the ones you have to do like within the online uh mode um like but uh uh the way i kind of played it was that like i would fight a monster until i killed it and then i would keep killing it over again until i could make a weapon that i haven't played in a while and then i would go into the next hunt using that weapon so like i kind of would just like switch around and like try everything because every weapon really like showed me a little something and like you know it was it was very cool that's a lot of monster hunter and loop there hero is a lot of monster hunter loop hero came out in march kind of creating what i think might be we might see more of this kind of subgenre. Um, yeah this is a pretty unique game in terms of gameplay um it, it is sort of a roguelite game essentially what it is and sort of an idol it is, game, it is right? extremely a roguelite game it is very it, much a roguelike game. It feels so much like a board game. Like, more than anything, I think that Loop Hero felt like a board game. Uh, essentially, what it is, is your character walks around this path. There's a circular path on the screen. The setup is dope, and, by the way. The the There's this, like, lich that has erased all memory of things. So, like, he's erasing, you know, the existence of trees so that people would forget what a tree even is. And your character... And so, like, the way you're playing... Uh, you could you could take it from me. Yeah, so your character walks, and, and you don't control them. They just walk around this path. Uh, monsters show up on the path. When you defeat a monster, you get items and cards, and the cards will be things that you can place on the map. So you could place, like, a cluster of rocks on the map, and for every rock on the map, it will increase your health. If you place three by three of rocks, it will transform into mountains. Uh, but when there's a mountain, then harpies will start to come down and then you have to fight the harpies on the track, which will in turn give you like better loot, better, you know, different cards and things like that. And you're essentially trying to fill out this board, uh, by putting like villages and forests and like also like hazards and dangerous things like, uh, spiders and, and things like that down. And then you're building your gear based around the way that you're like building your map. Uh, and once you have gone through the map enough times and filled in the board enough, uh, then the boss spawns and you try to fight the boss. Um, in between runs, you're also trying to build up like this town. So you're collecting resources based on what types of uh, hazards you're going through. So if you're going through forests, uh, you're going to collect lumber. Then you go back to the village between runs and you use that lumber to create like archery towers or something else. Yeah, and sometimes you unlock like new things to put on the map. Sometimes you unlock yeah, like you new passive deck. bonuses. Yeah, um, it is it is also kind of like a Dominion style deck building game where you're choosing like 10 cards uh, to bring into your next run. And those cards are the forests, the villages, the spider cocoons. Uh, and you're trying to bring something that creates like some sort of synergy. Like if you bring in like wheat fields and villages. A swamp and the vampire uh, mage. Yeah, exactly. There are these sort of like card combos that you will use uh, to create some sort of synergy in your room that'll make it harder or will make uh, unique materials appear. 
So it's it's a pretty neat game, and I think that also it is one that is ripe for updates and for DLC because I could easily see them adding a new like a uh, character classes. Uh, right now there were three, which is like a warrior, a rogue, and a necromancer. But it would be neat to see like more character classes, more cards, enemies, things like that uh, in the future. But like I said, yeah, there's nothing exactly like that. Yeah, it's so crazy. It's like even hard. Like, it, like it, it's just wild the setup for it. And it's so interesting to have this like self-playing JRPG, like your character just, you know, is on auto and you're going around and you're causing the fights. Like you're, you're, you're trying to put it down and like the... the like you said, there's there's a lot of um, discovery in this game. There's a lot of, like, interesting things. Like, they don't tell you a lot of these mechanics. Like, you would just kind of group rocks together until, like, it forms a mountain and be like, whoa, what, is, what, like, what happened? Like, this this new thing happened. And then, heart, and then like you said, harpies spawn out of it. And then it's just like, well, initially you might think, like, why would I want this? And, like, there's all these crazy little sub-interactions. And the game is about, like, learning those kind of things and um using them to like progress using them to get those unique materials so there's some really cool concepts it's such a unique and wild game and i think there was a few kind of knockoffs this year um really? i think that there was yeah there was a there was like some like loop it was something else that called itself loop something so there's a few games that were kind of like this but um yeah like it, it's still not a uh wild like genre the way that i thought like like damn this oh, is so yeah, unique you're right there's another game called loop odyssey yeah, so there's there's already some things that are trying to even ape it. The, it even looks. Uh, it, it has the this... same look too. It's like a pic, like Loop Hero is like a pixel arty kind of game, but it has its own. It's pixel art, but it does have its own kind of. I don't even know how to describe it. Like almost like a SNES cutscene or something. Like I don't know. Like it's a pixel art, but not uh, so pixely. Um, a great looking game. A great looking game. April's April's showers brought Mayflowers that showed us in April that there was a game Outriders. The, the game that would end the, the, destiny, the killer. destiny killer. I mean, Destiny doesn't need anything to kill it. It's killing itself good, well enough on its own. Outriders is a game where I believe you pick one of three classes, um, and it is one of those uh, ludum-ups. Ludum oh, what, what do they say? Yeah. What do they say? Ludum-ups? Schluters. Schluting? Oh, God. It's a, sh it's a shooter, looter. Yeah, Schluters. Right? Okay, gross. Um, it's a shooting, looting game. Uh, where you pick a class and you have uh, abilities. This game um, is shocking that it came out this year for many people because it really just like immediately fell off. It's from people, uh, what people can fly. Like they've made a couple different, you know, games. And I think I want to say, they made, did they make Bullet Storm? They did they make did. Bullet Storm. I thought that That's they were like game. X uh, Gears of War devs, like X Epic. That sounds right. Um, but uh, yeah, this game really didn't do anything. It kind of is is ugly looking too. Like the idea of it was like you were like the beginning of the game you get yeah. onto this i don't new... know if ugly is the right word it kind it's of generic. is it's it is like looking. yeah but it is also ugly like it's a very muddy looking game it looks like a up res ps uh or an up res xbox 360 game it's the kind of same like kind of dark same kind of like war not like dark siders same what? kind of like um you know muddy aesthetic you might see in a lot of like war games for the xbox 360 era where there's a lot of browns um uh the uh the gameplay was okay and they really did put an emphasis on the abilities like the magic abilities were really strong like uh way more so than like destiny you know it felt like you you could have like these magic like the characters abilities were what was killing enemies 
even quicker than the guns. But, you know, it was it was an okay game. The story was ridiculous, and the char the main I remember the main character were just, like, curse all the time. In this very, like, 13-year-old um, just discovered the F-word, and they're doing, they're doing a lot of, like, oh, fucking fuck, and stuff like that, where it's like, we don't need that. You don't, that doesn't make for good writing. Um, so, yeah, that game came out this year, believe it or not. Um, new Pokemon Snap. It. This was a part of your predictions. Um, I'm basically halfway doing the predictions of this this podcast. What was what was my prediction? Your prediction was that was and uh, stop me if this is going to explain exactly. Uh, I mean, you you kind of like this game. Um, you said that new Pokemon Snap will come out. It'll be exactly what people wanted, and people will also realize that this kind of game doesn't work anymore. I wonder why did I say it wouldn't work anymore? Just that like it was going to be like it's going to be exactly like the other Pokemon Snap, and that people would realize that like that doesn't. You know that that style that genre is like not needed right now, or like it's that a pretty kind of good thing. game. I remember you playing I, a fair amount of it. I the one thing that I I mean it was kind of addictive because uh, so Pokemon Snap is a it's not exactly a shooter but it's a photo shooter so you are uh, traveling along a track across uh, some sort of like nature area in, in this game you're traveling across a like a bunch zone. of different islands yeah like a safari zone. Uh, so there's like some like, you know, you're traveling through jungles, deserts, uh, volcanoes, you're on a track and you are just uh, looking around, taking pictures of Pokemon and trying to interact with them in different ways uh, that are going to um, make them like respond to you so that you could take a photo of them. And this game has a lot of replay value and actually like a lot of content, surprisingly a lot of content. The, the biggest problem with the original Pokemon Snap is that, well, it's not really a problem. Pokemon Snap was designed as a blockbuster video. And what I mean by that is it's not a AAA game. It's a game that you were literally supposed to go to blockbuster video and rent. This is something so, that our younger listeners um, will not will not be aware of. That was a, a, a store. It's similar to like a Wendy's, but if, it, if a Wendy's gave you a video game and then you had to give them the food, well... It's like if, if a Wendy's... It's like you had to give... You, they gave you, they gave you the food and, and you have to give it back. seven days later, you have to give it back. And then they're like, like this, isn't the way, this isn't the way that it looked when I gave it to you. And you're like, well, I, I don't know how I would have done that. Uh, Blockbuster, it was kind of interesting. So Blockbuster had these kiosks where you could bring your memory card and you could print the photos that you took of the Pokemon. And nowadays, yeah. you just press a button on the Switch and it shows up on Twitter. You know what was dope? Blockbuster had this thing that they were doing near the end of their their run which maybe killed it but um they th there was this uh like summer pass thing where you could have like one game rented at a time for as long as you yeah. want and you had to only had to pay once like you paid like like for, and, and it was a weird the deal was crazy because it was like you know a regular rent might be like i think like six or eight dollars or something like that for like a game i, I think it might have depended on what the game was I think maybe like newer games might have been more expensive and then older games might have been like at a set price of like $6 or something like that. But there was a thing where you could get a pass to always have like one game and it was like I think it was like $25 or something. Like it was not a crazy pass and you and it were it was like a pass for the entire summer and like I lived close enough to friend of the show Low Priority J, like lived close enough to a um Blockbuster and his mom got him a pass so we would just like go to walk to Blockbuster, get a game, play it for a little bit. If we didn't like it, we could just walk back and return it again the same day. Or there'd be some games where like we would just have out for weeks, like The Bouncer or Final Fantasy X. You rented Final Fantasy X? Uh, that's the first way I played it, yeah. Hmm. 
Uh, so Pokemon Snap has a lot of things going on that make it replayable. For every Pokemon, you have like a scrapbook uh, where you're trying to get like a one star, two star, three star and four star photo with four star photos being like very hard to obtain. You essentially like you could spend an entire like run just trying to get one Pokemon to do like a four star action where you're like interacting with it like a bunch of times. Like I think on the first level, uh, there's like this Pidgeot that you have to like with an apple at three different times during the level. And then like later in the level, it'll just like get in front of your car and just like square up with you. And if you take a picture when it's squaring up, then you get the four star photo. Uh, and that's beneficial to you because as you are taking more photos of Pokemon, uh, you're increasing your research score of that level. And as you up that score, you're getting new uh, ways to go through that level. Like you might find like a longer version of the track or some sort of like secret path, or you'll go through it at a different time of day when the Pokemon are acting differently, uh, which is obviously going to give you access to rarer opportunities for photo shoots. And it's, it's just cool. And as you're unlocking more and more stuff uh, with your research levels, you're also getting access to like um, filters and stickers and things like that that you use to edit the picture book to sort of make it like your own. And it, it's also a really fun game to play with uh, like couch co-op just because it, it's also pretty funny. And, and it's also, you know, one of the best ways to experience Pokemon this year like you get to look at some really adorable Pokemon, like the the Bidoof in this game, adorable, best Bidoofs of 2020. Yeah, it's hilarious when you throw an apple at their head. Um, are you ready? I'm ready. It's May. The the May the April flowers, the April showers have brought the May flowers, and then there was May Resident May. there was Resident Evil Village. That's uh, a great game. That is a phenomenal game. Uh, so Resident Evil Village is a direct sequel to Resident Evil Seven. Biohazard. Biohazard. And in this game, you are playing as Ethan Winters, uh, who is who is a uh, experienced with looking, this kind of shit. He's looking for his wife daughter. and child. Yeah, his daughter. His daughter. Rose, right? Rose. Is it's such a weird start. This game opens up. Oh my god, it's a mad weird start. And like stars breaks into your house, kills your wife, and <laughs> steals your child. Right? Like, isn't yeah, that exactly it, that's how like, it starts? Yeah, that's like the setup. And then they won't tell you anything. They're just like, stay out of it, Ethan. Oh man, story-wise, like, no. Story-wise, this is this is a nightmare. Um, but but it makes sense. It, I don't I don't I don't like uh, take points off for that. Like Resident Evil is a camp factory, and it's a great dumb story. Uh, like there's a like I we've talked about it. I don't know. Like like I I mean like minor spoilers, but it's like almost all of the problems of the game could have been resolved if. Uh, Chris Redfield just told you the truth. It's so yeah. weird. Like, there's this thing where, like, Chris Redfield like lies to you for the whole, a whole, the entire game about the premise of the game, basically. Yeah. And then he reveals it in the end, and then it's like, oh, this would have, uh, like, so much would have been different if you had. Yeah, just this told is the, like also the problem upfront. with like a lot of American film. I, and there's like there's a, just like won't explain. There's like a halfway. Yeah, this is like one of my all time like. I have a couple different like writing pet peeves and one of the major ones and like this happens a lot in like sitcoms like there'll be a thing where um like like how yeah, about like, like wait I can explain yeah. and then they're like no and then they like storm off and then they storm off and then the rest of the episode in the sitcom they'll be acting as if the um the misconception were true like the example like the example I would give is like a 
uh, wife walks in on a husband kissing this woman, but we saw that the setup was that the woman was like, like came up to him and just kissed him. And he's like, no, 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 I love my wife. And he's trying to get her off of him. And then the wife sees that. And then he's like, honey, I can explain. And then she runs away. And then the rest of the episode is about her being upset about his infidelity. And yet we, as the audience know that like, there actually was none and that if the main character would have would have, like actually explain it and be like no uh, no really like i i didn't do anything like as good as you know like it's a weird thing where it's like it could be kind of remedied by just like a true explanation but then for the rest of the episode the character will act as if it were true and be like i'm sorry honey i i, sh- I didn't mean to cheat on you and it's like but we saw it wasn't that way anyway but it's it's weird but i mean i, I hate to talk so much about the story because um this is a, gr- a phenomenal looking and playing resident evil um for me one of the reasons yeah for me the thing that i like so much about it um is that uh first of all it's an it's like taken it takes place in this like eastern european village and like one of the the first things uh the the way that this game kind of paces itself i think is like master it's amazing the you kind of always return you start off kind of in this village obviously resident evil village and it's like the, you know, it kind of is very reminiscent of Resident Evil 4. It's a first-person shooter, not the over-the-shoulder that 4 was, but it's in a, like, set in an Eastern European village, a first-person shooter. And the enemies in it are these, like, lichens, these, like, half, like, lycanthrope kind of uh, monsters. And they are my favorite, you know, Resident Evil fodder that I have ever encountered. They are horrifying. The way that, that like... It, it, it stuck with me the entire year. Whenever I think about that game, I think about these lichens that are perched on top of, like, buildings. Like, sometimes you might not, like, notice it sometimes, but, like, the encounters, like, the enemies sometimes are, like, waiting for you to walk to a certain area, and then they trigger. But if you, like, look up at some of the buildings, you'll see them, like, crouching with their eyes glowing, like, staring at you, and it is so disturbing. And the lichens just, like, move in a very unsettling way. They're a very, like, interesting Resident Evil enemy. Um, but yeah, the pacing is phenomenal. Like you keep going back to this village and then you, you'll go like the village kind of is the hub that splinters off to the areas. And then every time you go back, like to the, like you go to the village, um, you'll go to a side area and then do like, you know, like it's like a side dungeon and it'll usually have its own flair. Um, and, uh, you know, you get new equipment and you might get like a Metroidvania style, like, well, it's like Resident Evil, like Resident Evil always had this kind of things, but you'll get like a new key or a new piece of equipment or a lever or something. And then you'll get dumped back into the village where a little bit more of the village is accessible and you can like hunt around in the village again before going out to the next area. Um, this game does different types of horror really, really well. And uh, it like, it, it is just a like a master class and that kind of stuff. Like it, the, the, yeah. the, the village. Also, is... th- this is uh, one thing that I was waiting for during this entire thing is I was like, how are they going to science their way out of all this magical bullshit? Yeah. They usually you love know to what do I mean? that. Like, like in a way that like there, there are some really, really fantastic villains in this, like some really great monsters, like the, the three sisters, which are like these swarms of like locusts. Oh my god! That like there combine is... together to create like these vampiric daughters, like, women. It's, yeah, and then you have like this guy who has a giant hammer and controls metal, like Magneto. Yeah, there's some there's some wild villains. They they do kind of do that. Like with the daughters, I remember they have this like ridiculous um, piece of paper that you pick up, and they're like you know, stage on the trials, uh, one on the trials of like 
having this swarm of flies eat a corpse and then we're going to resurrect the corpse using the swarm of flies or like all this kind of ridiculous shit yeah. and like but um but it's interesting like like the late like you know obviously lady dimitrescu is a re- very was is a very phenomenal villain and was like memed to shit for like the way you know her appearance but she's a really interesting villain in the way that she kind of like doesn't care about the overall plan cares about her daughters and like you have all these like the, the different villains kind of have a kind of unique setups and backstories and like work in different interesting ways um i do love the different uh uh styles that it goes through like like the D- dimitrescu has her castle and it's very um resident evil mansion-esque and then yeah. there is a uh, the Beneviento house, which I'll never forget, is a, they, like, phenomenal, unbelievable, like, high point in the series, um, where they basically make it a, um, haunted, a up haunted, game, yeah. haunted house that is also a, um, escape room. It's, yes. it, it is, like, wild. Like, it goes, like, everything that Capcom was, or the, everything that, um, uh, Konami was trying to do it with, uh, uh, what was that horror game? PT. PT. It's like it does that. Like it apes like PT, where it's just like so unsettling and pop out scares, and like you ha- you don't have a weapon, so there's like one thing that uh, that you always have in Resident Evil is like as scared as you could be, like you always have that gun on the screen, so it always so like your your reaction to like my I always kind of have this like mindset of like well if something pop out pops out I'm gonna shoot it, which makes things like less scary, but um the beneviento house like kind of takes that away and makes you just like wander around and have to like be uh you know forced to like look at jump scares and stuff without anything to help you and oh it's it's phenomenal and then you know goes to like this this like water area where they have like a thalassophobia kind of section where it's afraid you know being afraid of like water with this monster kind of like trying to knock you into the water it's it's phenomenal and i think the, the, the best way I could sum up this game to move on is that Resident Evil, for me, like, I, I, I have long loved the series, but one of the biggest faults with the series is that it usually, like, a lot of times they'll start out strong in a very strong first area, and then they'll go to, like, a lab or something, and by then the game just, like, starts kind of coming off the rails, and the lab area usually is, like, not that spooky, and it, it kind of, like... you kind of feel like they could have done more with that original area like be it um you know resident evil 4 uh i feel like they like the village and all that kind of stuff was a little bit scarier than when you get to like uh the new lab you know like the lab at the end and so like resident evil usually feels like it falls off a cliff near the end and this is one of the few games that like like even biohazard kind of does that with um oh yeah it does that hard where you play as like mia and it like you're in a ship. And you're in like the boat. Yeah, Ugh. you're in a boat. It's horrible. It's horrible. And like, there's not enough ammo, and all the monsters like aren't scary, but take a billion shots. Like, so like Resident Evils have this tradition of falling, of just absolutely going to shit by the end of them, and then just say, and then just like the main takeaway being, wow, the the setup to that game and the first eight hours of it are masterclass, and then it just you know like completely takes a step off a cliff. And this game does not do that. I feel like this game has legs the entire way that last section like that last area where you're in like the terminator facility yeah it's like it is off the rails but it is also i mean it does a lot of things with like it is like this grimy like every resident evil like wants to do this lab aesthetic but the way that they do lab in this resident evil is like it's a lab but all the lights are off and you only see you're, you're seeing by 
the like red blinking strobes on equipment so you can barely see and there's like terminator monsters that are like mashed up zombies with chainsaws chasing you and stuff and it it manages to do a different type of horror much better than like i would say any of the resident evils that go into the lab like four or um village or seven in a way or um two does this goes into like a lab by the end of it like i think that it, it handles that better and, and like I, I i do think that like the village itself as a returning component was a brilliant way of um of really just like pulling this entire game together or tying the game together because uh one of the big things about resident evil should be that backtracking that like getting a key and knowing like oh i know exactly the place that this key would go it was like five hours ago i saw in a room um uh, a, a key that had a heart on it or something so this way this game like it, it both it has its cake and it eats it it like it has the cake and it eats it too in the way that it does different areas it does different environments but you still return to the same spot and it, it like that is such a cool way to pace the resident evil games i think also, that section at the end where you play as stars, yeah, is is pretty sick. Also, it actually works in a lot of in a lot of Resident Evil games. It wouldn't work, but it works in the way that like you just have infinite ammo, you're going buck wild, and um, you're getting to like fight tons of monsters and feel very powerful um, as like an end of game thing. Um, it's pretty cool. And also, the ending sort of does get me excited to see what happens. Yeah, the ending of the game because they show like um, your daughter uh, in the future, grown up. Yeah, Rose Winters possibly being like a DLC, a character that might be in DLC, or a character that might be a future Resident Evil character. But th this is a phenomenal game. Yeah. Mass Effect Trilogy. Uh, Mass Effect Trilogy. Let me. I liked Mass Effect, but I did not play Mass Effect Trilogy. Let me, uh, I, I lost the my tab. Um, so Mass Effect Trilogy is, so I, I started playing this. I only played through a bit of the first game. And I'll, I'll tell you what, like, made me stop is... So you spend a lot of the start of that game at the Citadel, and the Citadel is so goddamn weird in Mass Effect. Yeah, it is. Because it is supposed to be like, this is the the place where all of the races converge, and all of them live here, so it's going to be full of all these different alien races. And it is barren. Yeah, it really is. Like, there you're is walking no around, there's there. nothing... Like you just see, like there'll be like a few, you know, different races, like in in their own room usually. Like you'll go into a yeah. cafe and there's like one one creature there, and you get to talk to them, and they're you know they're like, my race's thing is that we're all bigots, and then you're like, oh, that's interesting. Now that I know that, um, that's yeah. as much Mass Effect trilogy as I played, but it's cool that it exists. I played I the original. I played all the originals. I played all Mass Effect one, two, and three. Amazing series. Love the way that you could take you know your save data into the mass effects and yeah i never played the third one which is kind of what motivated me to want to try this one garris is my bro i, I love, bet it's I good i bet it's good um but i didn't i just didn't see it through uh wild at heart this is a game we both played i loved this game so much oh my god i love this game so much this is a um it, it's like a it's not isometric i guess it's like top down but it it, it like the characters are on the screen in like a flat storybook way. Like it does, it has this chi children's storybook aesthetic. Um, uh, the setup is that very well unknown, right? Like this game has 
is very unpopular. I know, it's from like a first-time studio kind of thing, and this is like a fantastic game. Like, I, I would urge people to play it, especially if you have any interest in like a Pikmin-style game. I think that some people might... I, like, reading the reviews, most people liked it, but there's some people who hate that premise entirely. But anyway, um, the, the premise of the game, not like the, not the story. Um, so the So the premise of the story is that you're this kid who kind of wants to run away from home because their dad is an alcoholic and their family kind of fell apart. I think the mother passed away. Um, and uh, you, like, run away, and you're trying to meet your friend Kirby um, in, the, oh, yeah. in the woods. And uh, you kind of, like, fall into this magical part of the woods with this insane cast of, like, uh, sort of, you know, Neverland kids that, like, these, like, older people that uh, are still children and they're children at heart, and they're wild at heart. Um, and the main thing, the, the main way this game actually plays is that it's Pikmin in a giant world. It is a singular, contiguous world, and it is a Pikmin game where, you know, you control, like, a horde of, like, cr- kind of Pikmin creatures, and you throw... yeah. Like, and you they kind throw of follow them, you around, right? Yeah, they follow you around, and you toss them at things to solve puzzles um, the way you would in Pikmin, so... Like, stop me if you've heard this before, like a, you know, a creature that is fire immune and like Pikmin that is fire immune and there'll be a blazing like carpet kind of thing. And you have to get something that is on the other side and it's going to take 10 of them to carry it. But if you throw, you know, regular Pikmin uh, over it, then as they're carrying the, the this item, it, they'll, they're going to burn to death. So you throw the fire Pikmin over there and then they're able to walk through the fire and now you've got that thing. So it's a very Pikmin-y where it, it, it literally does that thing where you're finding different equipment and you are it, it takes 25 of these uh, little sapling things to pick up the equipment and then they'll take it back to the home base and that'll give you like an unlock. And um, yeah, you're, it is a puzzle game that you are saw using the little creatures to solve and i just love everything about it like it was a joy to play through i think that it never held up i would have loved it to be even longer than it was i thought the puzzles were fantastic uh the music is phenomenal it has this like very atmospheric music um just the game is a joy to look at and play and the pacing is great and some people didn't like this aspect of it but I really like it just, you know, uh, going out, exploring the world. Um, then there'd be like, it, it's similar to Pikmin. It has the day night cycle where, um, you know, you go out and you try and do what you can. And then you have to return to the to the base um, uh, because it's like monster kind of comes to try and uh, attack you and you're like sapling people um, uh, at night. And then you go back out and do it again. And I know a lot of people, some people dislike this. Because they think that it like is an art because they think and it is both they both think and it is true that it artificially lengthens the game in a lot of ways like um, you know there, there's not like a lot that is done with it uh, that mechanically other than just like you know uh, having to put like having a little bit of a timer like I'm gonna go out and I'm gonna try and complete X and Y and then I have to try yeah. and make it back to the base before then. But it is an artificial kind of thing because then if you can't do it in that time, you have to, you know, run back to the base and retry and do it again the next day. Um, but I kind of appreciate it. I kind of like the way that it sets up like daily priorities and then puts different like breakpoints where it's like, okay, I got, it was a very good day. I got done with 
you know, multiple things that I wanted to do or like, you know, you spend the whole day looking and then at the very end of the day, you're like, damn, I just saw the new thing that I could do, but I don't have the time to complete it. Um, it does artificially lengthen the game, but I think it does add a lot. Like it adds like this, like kind of like clock timer to the day that like kind of pushes you a little bit forward and also like adds a little bit of suspense. Um, I think without it, there would be very little suspense if you kind of just wandered around the open world infinitely until you found the next thing. Like it kind of like, you know, puts a little, like, lights a little like timer fire under you. And uh, I just love this game. I, 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 com I finished it. It's not that long. I want to say it's like... Did the story pay off, or how did you feel about, about it? There's a cute like storybook kind of ending. I think that, like, the story pays off in the way that, like, a Disney story would pay off, where it's, like, it's not a, you know, you're not shocked by the revelations by the end, but it's cute, and there's closure. All right. Uh, you know, the character kind of finds out, kind of finds out that, uh, you know, there's more to the his dad, and uh, that the dad, you know, is going through his own depression kind of thing, and uh, so... It's a it's a very good it's a it's a fantastic game I absolutely love the hell out of it. Nice June the sixth month of 2021. I can't argue with that. Grifflands came out that month June 2021. Was Grifflands in early access? Yes. Or, okay. Because it wasn't it like wasn't... it was one of those launches where it's like it's out but it's not that surprising to people because it was a known quantity and I feel like if the if it Grifflands like launched launched and and like what you know was playable for the first time in june it might have been a bigger hit but instead it had it was a slower drip yeah so griftlands is a roguelite deck builder made by clay entertainment clay entertainment is most well known for well they made shank they made i think they did crypt of the necrodancer did they no well, they were they were involved invisible ink don't starve mark of the ninja oxygen not included and now griftlands so Griftlands is a story-driven roguelite deck builder uh, where you are maintaining two decks. You're maintaining a combat deck and a negotiation. Ultimately, these two decks kind of play out the same way. There's not that much of a difference in the gameplay between the um, negotiating and the fighting. And essentially, there are three different characters, each with their own unique story that you're playing through um, as as the run goes on. So it, it's it's weird because you're it's it's run based and essentially like you're starting your character's story over again uh when you fail. Uh but obviously it's it's gonna be a little bit different because you know you're gonna get different cards and more importantly you're going to like make different decisions. Uh so sort of like a new vague like a fallout style like you know you could side with this faction or this faction and depending on who's your friend or your enemy, things are going to play out differently, but also you're getting different uh, perks depending on if somebody likes you. So if you befriend like the bartender, then maybe like uh, alcohol will affect you less, which will, you know, let you become chummy with people because you could drink with them, but without suffering any of the debilitating effects. This, this game is cool, um, but there's, and it looks great. It's, it's a really terrific looking game. I love the style. It, it has this sort of like um, this uh, this vibe of like Star Wars and of being like a, a bounty hunter in like this other like very different system with like all of these rival alien factions. Uh, and, and, it, and it's a cool feeling like it, it's a it's a cool setting. But I felt like the it, it didn't vary enough run to run and the actual um, card playing mechanics weren't very interesting. Uh, 
but I, I guess that's like n not necessarily the point. Like the game is definitely about like you're playing through these stories, you're making decisions and seeing, you know, what would happen in the story if you sided with with this person over this person. But uh, in these types of games, for me, the gameplay is king because it's something that you're going to be spending most of the time doing. So with the with the deck building not being as interesting to me, uh, it just didn't stick. Mm -hmm. But I think that it's a really cool concept. Did you play any of this? I played Ooh, a little of this. Um, I kind of liked it. I don't know why I just fell off of it a little bit. I guess other stuff came out. Um, but it was a it's a pretty cool game. It's very unique looking, and uh, it seems really neat. Like there's a lot of like you said, there's a ton of different ways to tackle the um, problems. Uh, like like to to face each solution. Like sometimes by you know, knowing something beforehand or having someone help you out or having some pre-plan or, you know, talking your way out of it or shooting your way out of it. So it's a pretty cool game. Um, I would like to go back and play a little bit more. Cool. A game that I don't really want to play that much more of it because I did not really like it, even though I love the setup, is Wildermyth. Yeah, it's a weird game, right? Um, yeah, so if I... Played, I, I played a lot of this. Am uh, I wrong? Well, not to, a lot, this is, I played enough of it to figure out that I didn't want to play more of it. This is the game where you like kind of set up uh three different characters and you like kind yes. of um you explain like you do some like kind of backstory for them and you get to pick a class like if they're gonna be a mage or something and then the game uh becomes like a storybook where it's very yeah. choose your own adventure um like the with like procedural story yeah like procedure so it'll be like these like randomized prompts of like the two characters you know met each other in a tower and then one of them was like do you want to kiss and the other one was like and then you say like yeah and then when they kissed it's like now they're in a relationship and that'll come back but um because of how like uh then the other part of the game you know so it has this procedural storytelling based on the characters that you create and um the other side of the game is like a, almost like a tabletop rpg where it is a grid-based rpg combat where you move around and yeah it's very D, &D. um i First of all, the 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 setting is like it's it kind of does that storybook that I was talking about a little bit more with um, Wild at Heart, but it looks worse. I don't um, like the way it. Looks. I do not really like the way it looks. It looks it's like these like two D storybook as if like cutouts are moving like almost like a puppet show a little bit. Yeah, sure. Um, like yeah. you would see I don't know like in a like in like a med medieval times puppet show, um, with people like you know underneath the stage that are like moving around little cutouts of fire. Kind of looks like that. And uh, so I, I didn't find the gameplay to be compelling. And the story feels procedural. Like, it, it like the, like, narratively, it is so, like, dry. And it's just, like, it's, it's, it, it's trying to do so much. And I respect them for that. And I love the concept. But it, it's, like, the same. It, it's just, like, it's so simple. Um, it's, like, if you sat around with your friends without any plan trying to do D&D. &D, and we're just, like, people are just, like, okay, so now me and this NPC are in a relationship, now what? And then you just, like, gave them, like, a one-word answer, and then it was like, okay, so what are you going to do? A or B, now what? Like, it's like, it doesn't feel consequential, and it feels very procedural. It feels just very, like, like, like I, I don't feel like it, it, things are concrete. I don't feel like it's telling an interesting story. Like, I think that at its heart, what we would appreciate about this game or what we would want is for a game like this to feel like this ad hoc emergent storytelling, like... Like, oh, I was playing and my mage fell in love with the archer, but then the archer died and it broke my mage's heart and it made him into a dark wizard and like all this kind of stuff that, you know, you appreciate about games like Kingdom Death or 
um, what Dwarf Fortress or something like that, where um, it's all this emergent wild gameplay, and yet like I don't know, it just feels inconsequential. It didn't really feel that amazing. I agree. Um, Cruelty Squad, though, that is a game that does feel amazing. Cruelty Squad. I hope people continue to talk about this game and recognize this game uh, because I think that it is one of the most interesting, one of the best releases of the year. So Cruelty Squad is an immersive sim, which I don't know where that name came from, but it is a game in in the vein of Hitman or uh, Deus Ex. It plays a lot like Deus Ex, where it is you are trying to well, and also Hitman, where it's like you're trying to assassinate this target or complete this mission. And there's a bunch of different ways that you could do it, depending on the loadout that you've brought. You could go guns blazing. You could try like a silent approach. There are the the levels are very sandboxy where there are like vents that you could use or like windows that you can break through. But th- the game is also it describes itself as an immersive power fantasy simulator with tactical stealth elements set in a sewage-infused garbage world. And it is definitely a game that you need to, in order to understand what this game is like, you do need to, like, watch videos of it and listen to it and just, like, look at it because it is an insane-looking game. It is so... It is such a bizarre game. Uh, and, and it... <laughs> the company that makes it uh, calls themselves like consumer soft products, which is definitely like they are trying. They're like pretending to be a company inside of this game. And this game has so much weird shit. There is a stock market in this game that is affected by the people that you kill. So you could like invest money into this like uh, failing company and then kill the the terrible CEO of it. And then like make a bunch of money and then you're spending the money to unlock uh, different like body modifications. Uh, so you could uh, get like use your like um, intestines uh, as a grappling hook where you are like changing out like cybernetically parts of your body to make yourself a better assassin. Sort of like what they were going for in like cyberpunk or or Deus Ex, where you could like um, uh, replace your eyes with like night vision or something like that, which is going to make it like terrible in the daytime, but it's going to let <laughs> you like unlock secret areas. I guess it, I guess it would, yeah. Uh, and it's also a game that is like rife with secrets and weird stuff, and also like eldritch lore about like the eldritch beginnings of capitalism, because this is also a game that is very much about uh, capitalism, and it is very much about like this game looks like garbage and it looks like sewage and it looks terrible because it is a reflection of like capitalism and what your character is doing because and and you're also just like recognized by people as being like oh yeah you're like an assassin oh yeah you kill people like cool cool because you can all like you're just like interacting with all of these different people that are like also a part of the cruelty squad and also throughout the levels you could talk about talk to these different like office workers who are just like talking about how much they like hate their jobs and hate their boss and wish somebody would come along and kill them and kill everyone around them. And it's, it is so bizarre and such a terrific game uh, with really interesting levels, interesting and bizarre weapons and a, a great soundtrack and, and just so, so weird. The, 
one of definitely like the weirdest game that released this year. Uh, I, I love this game. I think that th- this is a game that I played all the way through to the end. I, I think I saw most of the secrets. I did most of the, got most of the unlockables and, and it's great. And, and I think I, I'm not sure how this game reviewed. I think that it reviewed really well. It's got overwhelmingly positive on steam with 97% positive reviews. Uh, if, if, if you can stand the way that it looks, and you could understand that the looks are a means to an end and like serve a purpose. It's it's really good. Hell yeah. Um, Kevin Kevin Cruz, friend of the show, um, <laughs> used an AI generator to create a review about Cruelty Squad, um, which he posted on Steam, and it reads, "Cruelty Squad has been a great resource for me as I adjust to a more corporate mindset. I'm learning new things, how to work smarter, not harder, and how to effectively manage my time." I like that. That's a that review says it all, really. Uh, it's I I can't I I can't describe this game adequately. It is it it is just something that you have to experience because it is uh, wholly unique in its presentation. Well, hell, it is. What wild. a terrific game! Next game on the list, also a terrific game, Guilty Gear Strive. It's Guilty Gear, baby. Um, Guilty Gear Strive should have been the fighting game that brought the genre i mean in a lot of ways guilty gear strive i think might have injected a lot of life into fighting games i i, I love... actually think guilty gear strive is the first fighting game uh in a way i mean guilty gear strive disappoints me in the way that it could have been even better um more, there's, more there's, on that later there's like minor things that bother me about it but uh it is a, a generally a phenomenal game like it it, it has a, it had a great uh, starting roster. I, th- I think, well, the, the first thing that must be said about Guilty Gear Strive is that in a year with uh, that continues to battle coronavirus, more on that later. Because um, there's always more, there's always going to be more on that. Um, in a year that still, that we're still dealing with coronavirus, um, fighting games had a massive problem. Um, I believe I talked about this a lot in the, maybe the predictions cast or something. At some point I talked about this um, on this podcast. But uh, fighting games... Uh, have generally terrible netcode. And also, if you think about fighting games, they're this genre of game where uh, sometimes you are being asked with, like, hitting buttons, like, so perfectly, like, doing combos that have one or two frame or, like, three frame links. One being, like, obviously the, the tightest, where, where you have 60 frames in a second, and you're doing a combo where you have to hit it on a singular frame to make the combo work. So... Fighting games have a lot of, like, tight, difficult combos and, uh, you know, the seconds, like, half a second, quarter of a second, a frame counts and have always had horrible netcode. The the old way that netcode used to work was delay-based netcode where basically, like, the game just slows down to accommodate the, like, worst... um, uh, Like, whoever is connected the slowest or whatever. Usually it would do, like... Sometimes it even do, like, peer-to-peer and have, like, basically, like, player one is hosting, so... If there's ever a clash, like player one wins. Like there's all these issues with fighting game netcodes. This year was the first year that we started to see more rollback. And rollback is a complex thing. But what rollback is doing is that it's it's kind of guessing what your opponent would do. So if your opponent is holding forward and you lose, like you're holding your opponent's dashing forward and a few frames are dropped, like from the from the cert, like you're you're not um, like reading it quick or like there's a lag a little bit of lag. It assumes that your opponent continue continues to move forward, um, so that there's no delay in like 
uh, it, the game doesn't become choppier. It makes the game look smoother. Um, and that if anything happens that is the opposite of what happened, it'll roll back to when the time that the that it changed, basically. Um, it's very complex, but ultimately what it makes it look, it's a way smoother experience. Um, it makes it able, it makes you able to, it kind of makes it feel more like people farther away or with worse, co like, net codes or, or, I mean, with worse internet connections are, um, like, playing next to you. And you kind of, and if there is, like, lag yeah. a lot of times, you kind of don't notice it. Um, only in, like, wild situations like you fighting yeah. someone and from, if like, anything, Japan. Yeah, you're not going to notice, you're not going to drop a combo. Yeah. The main, you won't drop a combo because usually, especially with a connection that is, like, slightly bad, um, it's rolling back in like, you know, you know, one sixtieth of a second sometimes. So it's not something that your eye can even actually pick up sometimes. So usually it looks, you know, great. It usually feels like you're playing uh, next to someone. I would say the most phenomenal thing about this year and like a lot of netcode is that most of this year, I, I would say we weren't really talking about like we were playing fighting games online. Like usually you'd have all these things of like, you got me with the grab, but I don't like I I reacted to it, and I think it wouldn't have worked, you know, in person. And I think that this year, because of the emergence of like, well, not really emergence, but like the pr proliferation of rollback, you started to see um, fighting games doing better. And and that was the and that's the the other thing is like for a game that require that basically netcode was put so far on the back burner, especially for the Japanese. Like, don't even get me started on like the Japanese companies are were so late to adopting rollback because in Japan. A lot of in, in a lot of, they kind of were playing more like at arcades face to face with people um and uh so there wasn't really like that much of a push to have good net code like japan is very i guess like gaming is much more sociable i guess like much more like you you play your monster hunter on the train you play your fighting games at the arcade um and it's yeah. not really that way in america obviously um so we cr really couldn't play fighting games during uh coronavirus and uh all the fighting game tournaments suffered and because of that like games straight up died like um uh grand blue fantasy straight up died so that is the most important thing like guilty gear came out and had fantastic netcode and feels great um has an unbelievable style like the characters in Guilty Gear, I think it what was it, fourteen characters at launch, twelve, fourteen, something like that. Something yeah. like that. It is like only Arxis can do that roster because I think for other for other game designers like Street Fighter, I think that you want like twenty characters for Guilty Gear. The characters are just so wacky and insane and wild that like uh, twelve or fourteen is like enough. Like you and in in this this has a phenomenal starting roster. Like every generally every play style except maybe like zoning projectile zoning. There's a reason why like that probably is a thing. Um, but uh, and traps uh, and like traps, I guess maybe. Um, like a lot of crazy play styles are uh, you know represented, represented in, in this in this like starting roster. The characters are just like they're so insanely flashy and every attack in this game. Like if you slow down the frames, like there is so much going on animation-wise. Oh, yeah. Lot like, of style. My favorite character is Zato, and like every button you press of his does like you know covers him in shadows and makes him into a different weird thing. Like there's a time where he becomes like a weird naked mole rat, and like there's like it just oh my god, like it's it's insane the kind of like weird yeah, he becomes my, like a guillotine. He becomes like my favorite animation in the game is Faust is like this very weird, large, like gangly 
murderous doctor with a bag over his head. And one of his moves, he like malts and like pops out of his like, skin. He he like rips open and then another version of him. Yeah. And yeah, that's my favorite animation. The, the animation, like the characters and animations and everything are like just they're absolutely there's nothing like them in, in fighting games. Like they are so unique. They are so out there. They're like blink and you miss it. The only re- the only reason I see half of the stuff in this game is because I've seen it for 400 hours pretty much that I've been playing this game. Like this is my absolute most played uh, like with Valorant probably. Um, this is like one of my most played games of the year. Um, one of my most played games ever. Um, I played a ridiculous amount of this game. To the point where, like, a lot of them, I guess, like, like a lot of those, like, frustrations, a lot of those, like, niggling minor kind of complaints surface um, that w- when you're, like, 100 or so hours into into the game and just start kind of, like, weighing on you. Um, yeah, and we'll we'll get to some of that. I, I think that the one thing that I do want to talk about here, my biggest criticism with Strive, and there are there are quite a few, but the biggest one is that it seems like the best characters in the game are also the ones that are the easiest to pick up. Yeah. Um, I guess there's, there's a few other, th- like I, w- I would like to say is damage wise. Um, there is like a kind of like strive is made to be the easiest guilty gear game. And I think it's still pretty difficult. Uh, ultimately, especially at this point, like it would be hard for me to say like, you know, you're new to fighting games jump in now because I, I think that like a lot of people, even like the worst people at the game, uh, have had a lot of practice at this point, and there is a lot of, like, complexities to the game. There's a lot of systems to learn. Um, but one of the basic kind of things that separates this game is that it's a little bit more of a Street Fighter-style play style of, like, the characters are larger on the screen. Like, the the movement is a little bit less anime. The game tries to go for a little bit more of a neutral game, and it doesn't really get there a lot of times. And maybe one of the big reasons why is that the damage is so high. And I think that that's is very, very that's like high. kind of oh, what yeah. you're talking about is like a grab in Strive is like a combo in the old Guilty Gear games. Like a, a grab in Strive is equivalent to like a pretty good BNB in Blaze Blue. Um, there it is insane. Like you in in, in Guilty Gear Strive is like a I guess at least right for now it's generally played in tournaments and with us as a best of three. Um, and you basically like if you get hit once, there's usually like. You'll lose, you know... You make, six... like, like five decisions a, around. Yeah, yeah, you, like, you, you basically, like, you, if you don't block that one overhead or something that one time, um, you don't block that one grab, then it can turn into, like, massive damage into a carry, into a wall break, into the person having infinite meter, into the person getting a setup and getting block strings into, like, their next hit. So you kind of, like, most of the time you're hit by two combos that are the things that are your downfall. Um... It, because of it, it kind of is. It, it gets to go do away with uh, a major re- um, uh, reversal kind of mechanic, a major like get back in it mechanic, like an ultimate in Street Fighter or something. But because of it, um, you, it kind of feels frustrating. Most characters in the game do a, a, a basically the same amount of damage. Um, like I, I would say that a, that a character like I play Zato, and if I was gonna say like it, it do a design doc. I would say that Zato should probably do the most damage in the game with the current balancing. And the reason why I would say that is because like he has, he, he has, he has to struggle a little bit more to open people up and he has no defense. So he's like the worst defensive character in the game. I guess now that there's happy chaos, there's argument for that. But, um, uh, so he's a character that like should be doing a lot of damage and he does do a lot of damage, like especially on a counter hit, but 
it, like in the big butt is that like the damage is so high across the board that like soul who is a basic um you know shodo character that he is a jack of all trades that has every single option also can hit you and counter hit you for like 75 percent of your health so and that and it's an easier character and zato is like designed even in their their system says like an ease of play like they have a um one to five star ranking where five is the easiest and one is the most difficult and zato i think is the only maybe i forget what happy chaos is but i think zato is the only one star so it's a character that they think is the hardest character to play so like maybe he should be doing a lot of damage if you can like learn his weird negative edge puppet combos but you know, I, I just feel like the damage is insane, and the characters that are the like, that have always been the best since the beginning, like Ramlethal and May and Soul, and Soul, like, yeah. Their their stuff, like they they their regular things, open you up with surprising frequency. Like, and and especially in the beginning, Soul was so good that there was one single button he could press it, that moved that not only like moved him forward and put him at plus. So like that alone, he could just keep pressing the same button and putting you in block. And then like grab or overhead or do something out of it, and it was so scary that it's like you don't have to learn that. You don't you don't have to go to the lab and learn like Zato combos or learn a crazy Faust mix up or learn anything because the easiest characters in the game still kind of got away, still kind of opened people up, and still kind of did the same damage. So I think that there is and has always been a problem with that. With like the easiest characters get way too much mileage. Um, the uh, we've been playing Blaze Blue, and and I, and like there is a kind of somewhat internal balancing of like the best characters in the game are also like require the most time in the lab to play. So it's so it is kind of like the like the skill ceilings based on how difficult the character is for the most part is like this character you know Carl Clover is usually thought of to still be the yeah. hardest character in the game and is probably like the best still like he's still like one of the best yeah, characters. And- and in a fighting game, there has to be best and worst characters. Like at the like, that's just the way that it is. Absolutely, yeah. And and in that case, the hardest characters should be the best characters. Yeah, if you're, if you're gonna have to, games. if you're gonna have to make like, I think this game was very tightly balanced overall. I feel like the the game, as far as fighting games go, this was a pretty well balanced. And when the game launched initially, like Faust was the probably worst with a bullet, if not Angie. And even so. I would still say that, like, Faust was, like, B-tier, if that makes sense. Like, there's S-tier of, like, they're just incredible, they work all over the place. And B-tier is, like, it was still serviceable. Like, this is a character that could still maybe take a tournament. This is a character that still, like, you know, gives everyone a run for their money, still wins the games, and can still come out ahead, just, like, has to struggle a little bit more to do so. So I think the balance overall overall was very good. Um and there's a there's a couple of like things that I like I really love about it. There's this wall break mechanic, which I think is absolutely brilliant. It's like a incredible concept in a fighting game, especially a more anime fighting game. And it basically boils down to um, when you're getting comboed against the wall. Usually, you know, like in a fighting game, if you're if you're getting hit and you're being like juggled against the wall, um, it allows for you know wall only combos because there's nowhere for you to move. You're not getting pushed back. Yeah. Um, and in, in anime fighting games, what can often happen is that, like, you both people are, you know, air dashing around trying to, like, get a hit. And then one person gets a hit, they carry over the wall, and then now the person who's playing 
at the wall is like cornered and they don't really have any options and they're just kind of sitting around in block stun getting opened up constantly having to block a million mix-ups guilty gear does an interesting concept which i think is a really fascinating idea and that is the wall uh breaks so if you do enough damage in a combo that's against the wall it'll break the wall and it'll reset to neutral where both characters are again at basically round start um, and it gives meter to the person who broke the wall. So there's a reward to it, but for the person who is blocking in, in the wall, now there's a reset to get back into the game. Like, now they're in neutral, they're not against the wall. I really like that. Um, uh, Agreed. Yeah, the ranked system is horrible. We'll talk about that. And, and yeah, if uh, if the wall didn't break, then um, you would just die in one hit. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so that's, yeah, that's good. So let's talk about July a bit, right? Let's just keep going. There's a uh, lot of games to cover, so. Ghost Hunter's Core. So I want to talk about this game, Ghost Hunters Corp, uh, because I want to talk about the fact that Phasmophobia has created an entire genre now of ghost hunting games, uh, all of which are worse than Phasmophobia, the first of which is Ghost Hunters Corp. Uh, so there are three main competitors right now. I say competitors in air quotes that uh, the viewers can see because this is a video, um, but maybe you can't because you are only listening to me. Uh, Ghost Hunters Corp is was the first one of these games to come out. And the difference is that Ghost Hunters Corp, in addition to identifying the ghost, is depending on what type of ghost it is that you determine it to be, uh, you also have to exercise it. Uh, so there are a couple of different ways to exercise it that could be pretty interesting, like uh, baiting the ghost to go through salt. Um, uh, you have to say a phrase out of like a, a holy book, uh, which you, you know, you have to say it through the microphone. As you try to say it, the ghost will come and attack you. And you know, if you're if you're neuter to the game, that might like freak you out, make you stutter over some words, and fail the exercise. Uh, there's like a plasma cannon, sort of like a ghost hunter style, uh, to to get the ghost. And if you've identified the ghost correctly, you'll exercise it. Uh, there are some ways that it's worse. It's extremely buggy and janky. Uh, the ghosts like unlike phasmophobia which kind of like locks you into the house when the ghost is hunting in this game uh the ghost can follow you outside so you'll have to like run and hide in the trailer and also the ghost doesn't stay confined to its room which ultimately means that because of the way that hunting works and because the ghost roams around so much you generally just want to like keep everything in the foyer of the house you're doing like a lot less exploration and it is overall like a much more janky game uh, so that's Ghost Hunters Corp. The other one is Obsidio. So Obsidio it is a it's less buggy than Ghost Hunters Corp, but it like it definitely looks worse uh, in terms of ghost identification. The the thing that like is sort of its um, defining characteristic is that it has like um, dozens of different ways to identify a ghost uh, based on like the way that it talks, based on like it throws knives at the wall or like it, it breaks plates or it turns on the TV, but it's only static. So there are all of these like different identifiers. Uh, but the ghost ultimately like the models look hilarious. Um, and it's, it, it is still pretty janky. It is early access, you know? And then the third one is forewarned, uh, which instead of tracking down a ghost, you are tracking down an ancient mummy in a procedurally generated tomb. But ultimately, it has like the same, uh, you know, you're going in with like a set of tools like Phasmophobia. You're making this identification. If you misidentify it, there's a chance that it's going to kill you. Stuff like that. 
So it's interesting to see that phasmophobia has started to uh, spawn its own genre, but absolutely none of these games like hold a candle to phasmophobia, which has like continued to iterate throughout the year, um, has become less and less janky and continues to just like have really great environment. Uh, they've been updating the visuals on all the maps, the lighting in phasmophobia right now looks terrific uh it's scarier than it's ever been and they're just doing a great job and these other games hell yeah what do you I think mean, i think that phasmophobia is is already better than it so there you go i'm surprised we i would i there there's a lot of like genres that i thought would be kind of birthed that uh weren't um especially among us i was expecting this to be the year we would get a you know, high quality triple A among us. Where's the riot among us? Yeah. Well, like, why is there not already one of those? Like people kind of loved that concept and I could imagine one that's like more, you know, high fidelity, like better, you know, like, I, I don't know. Or I'm... even like you could imagine, well, they, they put it in, they put a mode in Fortnite, but Epic or riot or riot should just make one of these, just make like a free to play whodunit game. You can rip them off. Like people are okay with people that. do that They're all the time okay with rip off. Yeah. Um, Monster Hunter Stories 2, Wings of Rune. I played this game on the Switch. Uh, so this is uh, up for... Con- this is a, a contender for best Pokemon game of the year. Uh, these uh, Monster Hunter Stories games are... You are not hunting monsters. You are taming them and befriending them and then training them to battle other monsters and going into monster nests and getting eggs and hatching more monsters. So... This game has a lot going for it. It's very cute. Like it is very fun to like. You're you're still doing the Monster Hunter gear treadmill of like you're you're fighting these monsters. You're getting components from them. The components from them are being used to um, craft weapons and armor. But this is a turn-based RPG that is also a monster collection game, uh, where you're just like collecting different monsters. Uh, the monsters will have different uh, rarity levels of like, uh, you know, you might have like a a common Rathalos, but you might also have like a rare Rathalos that has like better genes. So each monster's like passive abilities and active abilities actually are represented by like this three by three grid and rare monsters will have better genes. And if you breed the monsters correctly and you can also like uh, take some of the, you could take like the best gene out of a monster and transfer it over to another monster uh, in order to like benefit this grid because there are like matching symbols on it. So like there is like a red symbol. And if you match the red symbol all the way across, you'll get like increased fire damage. But if you match it by like a column, you'll get like better fire defense or something like that. So there's a lot of reasons to go out and like, uh, encounter the same monster over and over and like get an egg from it because then you'll be able to uh, take the best parts of it and move it onto your monster. So it's pretty neat. And so you are essentially like battling alongside your monster um, and trying to uh, drift with it, where if you and your monster are uh, performing really well, you'll be able to like get on the monster uh, and start riding it during the battle, and then you'll be able to do, like, uh, power attacks. And the actual gameplay of it sort of takes this uh, rock, paper, scissors of, like, red, green, blue, of, like, you know, slash attacks versus bludgeoning attacks versus, like, arrow attacks or something like that. Uh, that's the gist of it. Uh, it has, like, a, a pretty 
predictable story, but it's 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 pretty good. Where essentially, um, you are this human in a world of wyvernians, and you are the grandson of this master hunter. Uh, the wyvernians are this race that are like very in tune with the dragons and live for like hundreds and hundreds of years. Yeah, weird ass hands and feet. Yeah, so you are. Uh, going through these areas and people are like, wow, you look like someone who I used to know because I knew your grandfather. And it's interesting because they were sort of like the same age as, you know, they used to be when they went through with your grandfather. So you're like sort of following in his footsteps and finding just like discovering this world and figuring out like the secret behind this like mysterious Rathalos that you encountered. And essentially like the whole, there's like this, big bad empire that wants to get a hold of this Rathalos because they think that it is a signal of the end times. So that is like the idea of like the wings of ruin uh, is like, they want to understand this Rathalos and you're trying to protect it uh, because this Rathalos has like bonded with you. It's a neat game. Uh, it's a, it's a great JRPG and it's on the switch. I like seeing it, it actually. So it, it um, the starting sections of the game run pretty poorly on the Switch, but I think that after you get through like the first uh, two towns, it starts to run much better. And I think that that's the only knock against it on Switch, but it's also on PC. I love the style. It's a great style. I wish that yeah, they were doing like this the for Monster Hunter Mainline. Cel-shooted, yeah, cartoony style to it. Uh, another Switch game that released in July was Pokemon Unite, a free-to-play uh, simplified MOBA game using the Pokemon license developed... Or maybe not developed, but definitely published by Tencent. I didn't play this game. I didn't either. Maybe if I did, my Tencent stock would be doing better. Same here. Uh, if Sean were here, he would talk about Pokemon. Host the so Sean, I'm gonna I'm gonna cut his what he's talking about and what he thinks about it in right now. And I definitely didn't do that. All right. Um. So. So we didn't play Death's uh, uh, Pokemon Unite, but it is a contender for best Pokemon game. Yes. I mean. You know what's you know what makes it a great Pokemon game? Um, it's not a mainline Pokemon. It's not exactly. Thank you very much. I I was I was gonna I was waiting for you to say it because I thought you you would say it. So, um, yes, any Pokemon game that doesn't actually have you do the boring shit you do in Pokemon at this point that I've been doing for thirty years of my life is a good Pokemon. Death's Door is not a Pokemon game. It's a Zelda game, and it's phenomenal. And I played it this year. Um, and I I beat it. But there is some actual what there what. You beat it. You I did. beat a game? Yes, I did. Um, I saw the ending, but there is post credit stuff. Um, and I've kind of Who actually... Who has time? What? I know. I know. Who, Who has, has time? time There's that? actually... I kind of did want to go back and do more of this. Okay, so Death's Door, you play as... It has a phenomenal style. It's kind of like a you play as a crow that is a Grim Reaper, um, and uh, you are... Like, you start out basically in this like black and white office in the afterlife, and you get contracts to go um, uh, kill these people who have been living for too long. And you find you get embroiled in this plot all about, like, uh, a death and um, that these people have, like, staved off, off death. And a lot of the story is about, like, you know, death itself, the, like, like how you can't live for that long. Like, you kind of got to move over to um, let new people, like, new lives begin. And also this kind of, like, the longer you live, the more like corrupted you would be and all this kind of stuff. Or like the, uh, maybe more about like the pursuit or obsession with staying alive forever would like ruin your, you as a person kind of. And it's so, so there's like some interesting, like 
the, the narrative is basic but interesting and philosophical and tackles like obviously the one of the most like dark themes the dark maybe the darkest theme um and you play as this crow it has a cool it has a really good style and actually the music is crazy if we were going to do a music which I, I it's looking like this is running long enough that we'll have a game of the year um like straight up game of the year awards show like i this game could be a contender for me like this game could be on it the music is phenomenal the areas are beautiful the environments are insane the characters are wild there is so much love put into this game but it's a zelda game you play a uh, it's a, it's an in one contigu contiguous environment um very much like a zelda you uh fight enemies in an isometric like like you're, it's like isometric you're this crow you fight enemies you get different weapons um you get different abilities so are you getting like a hook shot or yeah you're you getting get? a hook shot there's a hook shot in this game um you get different abilities that work in different ways and let you solve puzzles and let you do more in the open world um and uh it's it's great it really works um it's i think it's very well received on on steam and it just kind of like sucks you in it's 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 a really well paced game um the bosses are uh, are amazing uh this game is one of those games where like all the bosses are like you like i'll have i'll fail several times and then just by the last run it's like you're just no you don't get hit at all like you're just like i know exactly how to do it and it's like you start immediately at the boss fights so there's no frustration with um with dying ironically in a game very much about death um and yeah just it's it's great overall like there's I would have loved it to even been longer. Like I, that that's why I, when I kind of like finished it and rolled credits, I did kind of like walk around the open world for a little bit and like poke at a few things and get a few more upgrades. Um, like some of the items are like weapons that I missed the first time around. Like I walked around and just got them to like play around with them for a little bit. It's that good of a game that like I, I finished it and I still kind of wanted to like wander around. And then I looked up that there was like actually like a ton of, cause then there was this whole segment of the game that I was like, wait, how do you get into this tower? I never found this key and i i looked it up and and it's like here's how you start you know the post game content and it's a little you know like multi-hour um post game uh and uh i didn't go i didn't do it because it really is like i you know who has time it was like i i'm sure other shit was knocking on the door at the time um nightbook i don't even know what this is this nightbook almost... is an fmv game i, I knew it would be because it sounds like night trap what's night trap an fmv game Nightbook is the worst FMV game I've ever. Seen. Okay, great. Good uh, start. Because it's less than an hour long to get the first playthrough, uh, and it's also a game that was developed during COVID, <laughs> which is very funny. But essentially, what it is is um, there is this woman who is working as an interpreter of this like ancient dying language, who is essentially tricked into reading um, this spell out of a book, and then this spell. Um, infect somebody that she's living with and they become a demon and she's trying to like find a way to like you essentially like have to try to make the choices that will uh you know correct this bad thing that you did but it, it is such a weird setup and it the the acting is is actually pretty good like the acting they, they do a good job as best they can with this like pretty hokey writing i think that that these kind of games lend themselves to exactly that though like, but aren't I think all that, FMV kind of corny? But I think that I prefer these games to like lean more in, like to be more self-aware about being corny. I think that the, sure, the very sure. best one is um, Contradiction Spot the Liar is by far like the best FMV game. And I, I really just wish that 
those people would would make another really good FMV. It's always a you know a, a tightrope to walk when you do these kind of things because d- bad things can be good. You can totally say like you know FMVs are supposed to be corny and that's what people like about them, and I totally get it. But also there is like a tightrope you have to walk between like like something like uh you know the room right like the room is that bad terrible it's like the peak of bad terrible and everyone loves it. Um, but it's hard to make that because. There's like a because like you you wander too much into like oh we're making you know like how often they've made video games that are like oh this is a bad video game uh, not another escort quest like yeah you're making a bad video game it's not fun like it's it's hard to do to make like an FVV that's like this is cheesy and dumb but like is it yeah. too cheesy and dumb it's also the situation of like you have cases like Deadly Premonition two Deadly Premonition 1, oh yeah most definitely where no one knows. Like, it's impossible to know if they thought some of this is good. Like, he's a, that's Swery, right? He's a pretty smart guy, I think. He makes, he makes some pretty cool and pretty good games. Uh, that's, that's a, a pretty subjective opinion, subjective. Uh, but I, but I kind of trust him. But I think that, like, when it came to Deadly Premonition 2, he leaned too hard into the weirdness. He, like, like, almost tried too hard to make it, like, remember how weird and like hokey, like Deadly Premonition 1 was, well, in Deadly Premonition 2, we're going to lean really hard into it. Yeah, sure. And the game, it it almost works better if it's not completely self-aware. It it almost has to not know that it's silly. Like, it has to take itself somewhat seriously for it to work. Because if it's, like, totally a joke, then it's going to flop. Yeah, I mean, Deadly Premonition 2 was such a difficult thing to do because you know like you can't make another it's hard it's also hard when you have expectations like if you have an expectation that it's going to be weird and it knows at this time i don't know if it works that's deadly permission two didn't come out this year i don't yeah that's all i wanted to say about tribes of midgard i I put it there to say i want another good fmv game tribes of midgard came out this year and this is a interesting game um i had some fun with it and there's a lot of it's a phenomenally cool concept right um, it has a really yeah it's an interesting idea for a game you start out in like this town in it's run based it's like a roguelite right and like, it is also like on a timer like a pretty scary timer like it's it is a a game that is like not chill yeah so so it's not chill at all it, it's a it's another norse game this was a this game this year had valheim and and tribes of midgard um it's like a norse mythological game where i guess like a jotun a giant is going to come and destroy your village at a set time. Um, and you don't know where it's coming from and the world is procedurally generated. So you have to go out and you start out as like, so it combines roguelite with survival. So you're, you're going out in the world and killing enemies and, uh, smashing rocks the way you do in these games and getting lumber the way that you always do in these games and you do those things and you build up better equipment and weapons. And then you, and then, you know, you have a, you are, you're on a timer, you know, that the Jotun is approaching and then you try and scout them out, find where they are, see what path they're going to take, and then try to make a plan to destroy it before it gets to the city. And also there are like what day and night kind of cycles where like, like a horde will attack the city at random intervals. So you're also like, building, always at night though. Yeah. Yeah. You're building up the, um the city's defenses and all this kind of stuff there uh, this game has such so many cool ideas um but i would say similar to valheim one of the weird things was about like 
the updates were kind of weird. And I think this game is doing this thing where it's seasonal, which I think is a huge mistake. I, I kind of want it to be more of like, I want to come back to it and then say, whoa, look at all this new stuff they added. They added a new creature out in the world that when you, t like, I love those kind of games where it's like, almost like, 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 let's say like a path of exile where they keep adding like a new wrinkle. And then when you yeah. come back to it, you come back, you, you see this new thing in the world and you're like, whoa, what the hell is I think this? that's for what they're doing actually. Is and that really? Just, I... uh, the, yeah. The second season also just released. I thought that, that it was like um, seasonal and they were getting rid of me. Nah, nah. Okay. Well, uh, maybe so that's out. Yeah. yeah that could be a good, just started, uh, two weeks ago that could be a good 2022 21 game of the year yeah we'll see we'll we'll have to check it out i thought that it was pretty cool uh, unlocking the different classes and as you play around you're like leveling up the class and you're getting access to like new abilities and there's there's quite a lot of different stuff and some of the classes are like pretty hard to unlock so you might spend one run like just trying to unlock a class for everybody like there's one there's one class that's like, in order to get this, you need to unlock every single waypoint on the procedurally generated map. And in this game, it is about like balancing like how you're going to spend your time. So if you're choosing to go out and get those waypoints, there are other things that you're failing to do that are going to make the run harder. Um, but, but I thought that this was a game that flew under the radar. I, I feel like a lot of people probably had different expectations for what this game, you know, what they wanted this game to be versus not. Yeah, this is exactly and the I, kind of game where you you read reviews and people are like, the day and night cycle is lame. I just, every time I die, you have to restart over again. And like, it's like, you don't understand. Like, it's the same kind of thing where it's like, you, you, that's not a complaint. Like the game is doing that. If you don't like it, then the game's not for you. It is a roguelite that has those, you know, survival aspects to it. But survival, like that is the whole premise. Like they've created a survival roguelite with you know with you know like these these all these mechanics that are more roguelite-y so if people want to just keep building up and not have the jotun break the city or whatever like that's not a fair complaint you know like that's you just want a different game play yeah. rest or arc cool stuff uh forgotten city also cool stuff this is a game that i feel like it it's not that well known but for the people who did play it i assume that a lot of them are going to put it somewhere on their game of the year list the forgotten city it's another time loop game uh we got a few of them this year it's pulling up some notes originally the forgotten city was a mod for, for, Sky skyrim. for skyrim right yeah that they turned into a fully fledged game so the setup is really neat uh you happen up upon this person who says hey i lost my friend in that cave can you go find them and you go into the cave and sort of you fall down a rabbit hole or whatever, as you know, happens these types of games. And you end up in this uh, Roman city, this ancient Roman city um, that is sort of a utopia uh, where nobody dies. Everyone lives forever, but um, they have to live uh, under a strict code of not breaking any laws. But it's interesting because it, it, it's sort of philosophical in that, like, what is what is a law? Like, what is what are the rules of this place? And it is sort of up to the player to discover what those are. So what you realize is that uh, the, the, the world sort of ends. All of, like, these golden statues that are around the city come to life and kill you uh, and kill everybody if anybody breaks a rule. So the rules include, like... Um, not no adultery, no uh, thievery, and no killing. 
So if anybody in the world kills anybody, then uh, all these statues wake up and kill everyone. So you meet this like mayor of the town that's like, uh, you know, I, I really hope that you can help us uh, prevent a sin from happening. Uh, he tells you that he has created a loop to where if somebody sins, he can open up a portal uh, for you to return back to the beginning of the day uh, to hopefully stop whatever is happening from happening. So you are sort of tasked with going through this day and like patching up the mistakes that people make of like, oh, you realize that like, if, if this event unfolds in this way, then this person attempts to kill somebody or there's like this assassin that's dispatched and you have to like give them the wrong information or convince them to go on their way. And you're sort of like pushing the day further and further and unraveling more and more of the area's secrets. And there are also some pretty good twists. I, did, I only made it to the first ending. I think that there are like three major endings with one of them being like a true ending. But this game actually goes plays. It's 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 pretty neat. It it has like some interesting like philosophical questions, um, and, and some really good story twists actually. Like there there were some good twists. Um, it's a it's a pretty good looking game like for what it is, you know, which is like it it looks like a a better more like a more vibrant version of like Skyrim. Uh, it does that look has a lot like, like Skyrim. That's like more than just like a snowy setting. It's and it's fully voice acted. So overall, like pretty neat. And I could understand why people would put this on uh, their game of the year lists, especially, you know, compared to some other time loop games that really. Um, the Ascent is a game that I played a little bit of and hope to go back to, but it was pretty buggy when it was first released. It's a top down shooter, um, kind of like loot based in a cyberpunky kind of world. Um, really good looking. Dystopian cyberpunky world. Really good looking, but. Um, not well optimized and kind of janky. Um, so, uh, I think it was, I think that was a lot, there's a pretty common opinion of it was like, looks good. Um, feel like it's not optimized, like frame dips and stuff. Uh, but. It has ray tracing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but even on my machine, uh, which is like a powerhouse, like has a 3080, has a 10 series Intel, uh, chip. It, it, it was framey. Yeah, that's not which a, which a always great sucks time. when it's like the recommended specs of the game is like a 1070 and like a six series chipset. Like, yeah, Ace Attorney Chronicles came out for Switch. Yeah, and it released alongside the Ace Attorney trilogy, and you could buy it all as a pack for like I think it was like 60 bucks. You get like five games. So Ace Attorney Chronicles is um, the the prequel to the Ace Attorney trilogy, where you play as like. The, the a distant relative of the of Phoenix Wright when like uh, courtrooms were first starting to appear in Japan in uh, the 1800s early 1900s. Uh, I only played through a little bit of this, and I think that I, I, these games have such fun writing. But one of my issues is like the way that you have to see the same like text written over and over. I think that I reviewed this. Um, in one of our uh, podcasts in the year, because I did end up playing this in July. I played through the first story. I liked the first story, but the text moves at a really unnervingly slow pace, and you can't just like skip it as quickly as you'd like to, which is such a pain in the ass because the characters end up repeating. Um, I feel like this is a game where if I had 
if if the days if days were 30 hours long i would have i would play more of it but it is just a game that is uh hard to fit into my schedule when sure. like the time that i would be playing ace attorney chronicles is time that i'm reading a book i don't know what dodgeball academia is we're in august you don't know what dodgeball academia is no uh, Dodgeball Academia is a game that came to Game Pass, uh, so it was included in Game Pass, so I think that a lot of people probably played it there. I played it on Game Pass, and then I liked it enough to where I uninstalled it and bought it on Switch, because I thought that it would make such a good Switch game. Uh, Dodgeball Academia is sort of like Golf Story, um, but a little different. So it is not necessarily a dodgeball game insofar as it is RPG. It is... a it is a shonen RPG where you play as this, but it's also, it, it's weird to talk about. It is a shonen RPG that is sort of like a reverse shonen where the main antagonist of the game is like this powerless uh, kid who is like trying to get through this academia where they don't have superpowers, but everybody else does. And your character, who's the main character, has like the best superpower. Uh, where they're just like super powerful and like super good at dodgeball. But it is essentially like you are playing like this character who's like befriending a, a roster of different like dodgeball players. And then you are trying to become the best dodgeball team in this school that is all about dodgeball, uh, that is trying to face off against other dodgeball schools. It's very like, I don't want to say that it's like, dodgeball harry potter but that's kind of what of and it is an rpg where you're like getting different equipment that is leveling up your stats and then you're becoming better at dodgeball and the main gameplay is actually playing the game it's actually playing dodgeball where you're like catching the balls and doing all of these like trick throws and your character can uh has a super move where they could like light it on fire and then you have different teammates who like can do parries or do like different healing abilities or any clones of themselves. And that's the kind of game it is. And it is also uh, one of the, a game developed by a Brazilian developer this year. Um, two, two of which came out, it was a uh, dodgeball academia and later in the year unsighted, uh, which are both uh, pretty, pretty great RPGs uh, made by Brazilian developers. So it's cool to see uh, that country coming out and doing something positive for video. Games. Hell yeah. Dreamscaper is another one of these roguelites. Um, this has like a absolver, right? Look, it does, doesn't it? Um, it, it, it is a like you're go. It, it's also a um, daily kind of thing where in the in the in the day you're going around the town, right? And then at night you're dreaming and going through procedural roguelite dungeons. Yeah, you're playing as this um, character who I guess has recently moved to a new town and is having like a lot they're having depression and anxiety and those are manifesting in their dreams and you are trying to like overcome those issues um in your dreams sort of like by battling these creatures away and then in the daytime you are having you're like meeting people in town you're like making art and like forming relationships with people and these relationships are you know, metaphorically and in actuality, literally helping you in your dreams because they're giving you access to perks and new equipment and weapons that you're using to battle um, the bad thoughts and feelings that you're, you know, witnessing when you're asleep in your subconscious. So a pretty neat idea 
Um, visuals are solid. The weaponry is solid. All in all, a, a pretty solid roguelite. With, with some, with like, yeah, the day-night cycle thing is pretty unique. Yeah, and I think I was still getting some kind of... Um, Naraka Blade Point is a battle royale. But it with, is. And it's extremely popular. It's it's doing well for itself, I would say. It's one of the most played games on Steam. And weirdly, they've got this like, what is it? Bruce Lee? Yeah. Like thing? Like the, I, the, the weirdest thing about this game is that it's not free. Yeah, this is a not free um, battle, battle royale. royale. With, that is melee focused. Like that I, is also full of microtransactions and has a battle pack. <clears throat> I imagine I I can only imagine how well this game would do if it was free. At some point, this game will become yeah. And I then, played some of this game. It's weird too because it's like you already have the infrastructure for it to be free if you have free to play. They had a free weekend and I bought it and I like it. Um, and the only thing holding me back from playing it is that um, my friends aren't playing it yet. And I feel like when this game goes free to play and people pick it up, I'll be interested in playing it. Uh, the movement in this game uh, feels fantastic. Uh, you have a grappling hook that you can use not only to traverse, but also to pull yourself to people. Um, it sort of has like um, fast paced Dark Souls combat where it's full of just like strike, heavy strike, um, parries, and then uh, you are choosing uh, from like a, a pretty small roster, maybe like 10 different characters that have different like passive and active abilities. Like one of them might have like a teleport and go invisible. Whereas one of them might uh, shoot out like a force wave. And one of them has Morgana's ultimate where they like can get into a crowded area and start channeling uh, like these different beams of people. If they stay in the range long enough, then everyone will get stunned. Uh, and then it's just like lots of unlockable like weapon skins and um armor variants for the characters like there's a gotcha element to unlocking uh cosmetics which i know that people go crazy for they love that stuff and there's a pretty diverse uh set of weapons and you get weapon proficiency ranks which will also let you unlock cosmetics so the more that you use like the twin daggers maybe you'll unlock like some skins for them and also character proficiency where the more that you use uh a specific character, y'all unlock more passives and bonuses for their skills. Y'all unlock different variants of their skills where like, uh, you know, this character, instead of having like this chargeable teleport that goes really far, uh, if you get proficient with them enough that you could get like a really short range instant teleport instead. There's a bunch of different game modes, but it also does that weird thing where um, the first couple of games, even if you try to fight human beings, like, you know, there's like a bot queue where you could like queue up and fight bots, but then there's also one of them where you could fight humans. Uh, but they do that weird thing of no matter what, your first few games will be against bots and they won't tell you. Yeah, so then you win and you think, you know, you're doing great. Oh, I'm and good at this game. So I should play more of it. I should buy some of this armor. I'm doing so well. I got my first chicken dinner. Um, you want to tell me a little about Psychonauts 2? Ooh, Psychonauts 2, another one of the best games of the year. Uh, Psychonauts 2 is a game that took forever to get developed. People were talking about this. Um, I don't know if you remember the original story, but uh, Notch, the creator of Minecraft, desperately wanted Psychonauts 2 to came out and started having conversations with... Uh, who's the double fine guy? Tim Schafer. Yes. Uh, so they started having conversations. Psychonauts 2, at one point, I think had a Kickstarter, but Notch just like gave them like a bunch of money just because he wanted to play um psychonauts 2 eventually 
Uh, Double Fine was acquired by Microsoft, so they just had like all of this money and resources. Uh, and finally, eventually, this game came out. And whoa, hold on, weird. Sorry, I tried to open up uh, the store page, and a un unstoppable video appeared. But uh, this is another reason why I love Game Pass. This is a sixty dollars game uh, that came out day one on Game Pass, so that's where I played it. That's where I assume a lot of people played it. I don't know how that affects their bottom line. Like, because that game came out on, on Game Pass, are they losing out on a bunch of sales? Like, that I have to wonder. Um, yeah, I, I feel like they, I, it was weird yeah. to look at the um, Steam charts and or look at Steam and it had like a thousand reviews and it was very positive or something where it was like it has a thousand reviews for Psychonauts for a game that's been for so long and like has, you know, a major developer behind it and ha and it's like a sequel to like a pretty beloved platformer whatever yeah i wish that you had played this just so that uh there would be more to talk about in terms of uh our thoughts on the level designs and things like that because i think that that is where this game shines the most uh psychonauts 2 uh it tells the it's the immediate sequel to psychonauts 1 so the events immediately follow what happened in psychonauts 1 uh but it is a game where you are a psychonaut which is you are a sort of psychic uh, you are part of like a psychic squad of spies uh, who is able to like inception, like go into people's minds and like solve problems. Uh, but it leads to some really weird stuff, some really interesting level design uh, where you're going through. Um, like, I, I think one of the best levels uh, is this um, where you are trying to get into the mind of like this old musician and they're, they are like a 70s psychedelic musician. So it is like a very LSD inspired level that is just like full of all of these different colors. And, and uh, you're trying and you're just trying to reunite the different members of this band. And each band member has like a different aesthetic and different like instruments that are playing when you're going through the level. Uh, but it is sort of like one of these, like it is a, a Mario, like a Mario 64 style, like you're, jumping into these different worlds. They all have their own different gimmicks. Uh, you have a number of different powers. You're getting more powers as you play through it that are letting you traverse the levels in more unique ways. Um, really, really great voice acting in this game. Jack Black has uh, makes a, a really like terrific showing in this game. And the actual story of this game is actually just uh, really terrific. I, I really did enjoy this game, uh, but it's also one of those games that I played. Uh, I played a lot of like I played through this game all the way through to the end, but I did it in a week and it made it makes it sort of hard for me to uh, remember like the minutia of the game outside of remembering that I really enjoy. And it also touches on like some serious stuff like you are going into the psyches of these different people who are all very troubled. Um, yeah. So you're going through the minds of people who are like very anxious or like, you know, they suffered substance abuse or they had like a abusive childhood or things like that. So those are uh, it is troubling. But it so it, it, there is sort of this um, uh, I, I forget the, the word for it, where it's an interesting like dichotomy. Uh, these two things are like at odds with each other where it, it seems like this very like playful game that is touching on these like very heavy texts. Maybe like the juxtaposition uh, or? Juxtaposition, that's what it is. Uh, one of my favorite uh, levels of this game is uh, when you're on like a cooking game show uh, and it is, let me just 
refresh my cell phone. It's hard when we uh, make this uh, this show and we try to put all the notes together in um, in in one in one day. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you are sort of like doing this cooking game show uh, for this person who's like very worried and is an overthinker. And in this cooking game show, you are running through like these different obstacle courses, like bringing uh, different ingredients to different. Um, like you're trying to like chop onions over here and like boil potatoes and then you have to like take the boiled potatoes and put them like into a deep fryer over here uh in order to do this cooking game show and you're on a timer and it is like for this character who's like very stressed out and worried and like the that's what the timer is representing uh and yeah just overall like terrific level design if we had like a best level design category this year i think that psychonauts 2 would take it uh without much uh resistance yeah, I still kind of. I think that this is a 2021, 22, 2022 for me because you think you think I'll play. It? I think I could end up playing it. Like I feel like I would. I you get Game I, Pass. <laughs> I could dig it. Um, yeah, I gotta get Game Pass. I gotta figure that out. But I keep not really looking into whatever it is and just hearing for one dollar you get continued. three months. Yeah, for one dollar you get three months. I, you, if you search it on your because you're I won't like even do on that. PC or whatever. Yeah, <laughs> it's gotten so past me. It's gotten so far past me that I'm just like I don't really entirely understand how i get it and i don't really yeah, it's, entirely it's netflix for games okay um that's it it's it i have remained like like not willfully ignorant like aggressively ignorant this topic and for no reason truly um fair enough uh in august the end of august or at some point in august the end of our august um would be 12 minutes a bizarre and truly you know one of a kind game i wish that more games like this came out uh because there is so like much like a du- this is a, a this, weird double a game this is a yeah this is like a bizarre insane this this is a game with a bonkers ass setup and and if i told you that that the vo- it was vo- the three characters in it are voiced by james well there's a little bit more than three characters but all the voices are done by this is actually gets confusing too but um willem dafoe uh, Daisy Ridley and James McAvoy. It's like insane. It's so weird. The setup for it, fantastic. Very Hitchcockian. Um, it, it is a time loop where um, you basically, you play as this like, I guess like newlywed um, uh, and you're coming back to your apartment. Uh, you start out, like you get out of the elevator, you go back to your apartment and your wife is excited about something and uh, the time moves at a normal like, free pace and within uh i think it's earlier it's less than 12 minutes like eight minutes or so um this cop will like break into your apartment and kill you um and he's like yelling about this like where is this like um uh that like she's a murderer and where is this watch um and so it's wild setup when you die you start back again but you remember everything so basically the setup is that you are in a time loop where it can only go as far as 12 minutes, no matter what, even if you kill the, um, even if you've managed a way to like incapacitate or kill the cop or get away, um, you can't leave the apartment and you can't be awake for more than 12 minutes. Um, it'll always reset after 12 minutes. So kind of a wild setup. And the main way is like, you're kind of playing almost like point and click adventure. Um, you're trying to find things around the apartment. You're trying to, um, find things, more things about your wife and more things about this um, person who says he's a cop um, to be able to get further or figure out a way to break the loop. 
Um, we did talk. I think we did a straight up spoiler on this um, at the end of one of our podcasts. Um, but uh, the only reason that this game isn't like wildly well, there's a couple. Actually, there's a couple of reasons. Like this game has some major flaws. Um, yeah. One thing is that for a time loop game, they don't let you. Um, this game needed a rewind feature yeah. because there's a lot of cases where you need to repeat doing the same thing over and over to get to a situation that is like a pivot in the story where you could learn more information. Yeah. And sometimes sometimes it's, it's a very trial and error game and it can be kind of frustrating. Um, there are some kind of like, they do give you a few things that like skip time or move time to a point where things will happen. Like um, you can like take a nap or something and it'll move time to when the cop comes or like hide in the closet and stuff. So there's certain things you can do to like move time forward. But um, for the most part, this game has a lot of trial and error, and it can be very frustrating sometimes and very obtuse because um, sometimes the thing you'll need to do to move the, the game forward is like, you know, uh, wait for the cop to come and then you hit him with a certain bit of information. But like, you don't know that at the time. So you think like, oh, maybe I'll try asking the wife more questions. Or like, I found there was a couple times where I hit blocking. I hit like stopping points where I couldn't really figure out what the next thing they wanted me to do was. And then I would say the, so, so that was, so it, the game can be kind of frustrating and try on error. Um, uh, I actually really liked the dialogue and the voice acting and I really loved how, um, cool, like, like once, like the, like the middle of you playing this game feels phenomenal where like once you get really used to everything and, uh, it's kind of cool cause it does the reverse on that thing where we explained earlier where, characters don't ex explain their situation and the problem could be remedied like you can explain to your wife like like we've been in a time loop i've seen this happen a million times before and then she's like you know prove it and you can be like uh there's about to be lightning right now and time it exactly to it and like tell her i know this and i know the contents of like you got me this present i know what's in the present um which is impossible because the because you didn't tell anyone the present is closed and i and the, the wrapping paper's still on and all this kind of stuff so like there's there's all this interesting fascinating stuff about it and I would think one of the major reasons that I that, that like people aren't talking about it still is because woo it goes off in a bad direction. Like the ending for it is not satisfying. Um, the like I almost caution against playing it because playing but like a couple hours in, there's going to be so many questions of like this is so fascinating. I have to figure out what is the watch. Like who really is my wife? Who really is this cop? And my the, wife. And the way that it kind of comes together is horrible. Oh, yeah. It's a weird, weird story. Like, how but are they... It's on Game Pass. Sure, play it on Game Pass. How they kind of, like... <laughs> how they kind of, like, reconcile all these twists is tremendously bad. Oh, yeah. But you know it's not tremendously bad? Some of the games that came out in September. Oh, yeah.